This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win... Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery. The show that can be fooled some of the time, but can't be fooled all of the time. Which kind of sums up yesterday's victory against Cardiff very well. Uh, yes, Chelsea won. Yes, Chelsea are only one point off fourth place. Yes, Chelsea came back from behind for the first time since uh, since they beat Cardiff at home back in September. Hmm. But to believe that all is well with Chelsea would make fools out of us all. Uh, The 3,000 Chelsea in the Cardiff City Stadium may be many things, but fools they are not. They could see with their own eyes that the team selection was wrong, that the football was turgid, ineffective and toothless. They knew that the win was nothing more than a deception. They articulated their feelings on what they saw in the on what they saw in the only way they can by chanting "fuck Sarri ball" and "we want Sarri out." We may not all agree with their emotive reaction, but it's hard to disagree with the cold-faced reality that Chelsea were poor. Things are not improving, and a very fortunate win, courtesy of a blatant offside equaliser, should not paper over the cracks. Ultimately. Chelsea were very lucky that the linesman was as blind to the facts that many Chelsea supporters are to the fact that Sarri Ball and Maurizio Sarri is a doomed experiment in the Premier League. There you go. The Chelsea Fancast number 457 this week is called Saved by the Bell End, which I thought was very appropriate. Now, very good, Chidge. Thank you. Thank you. It came to me in a blinding flash of inspiration, as these things so often do. Uh, now, uh, obviously, you just heard the dulcet tones of Jonathan Gid. How are you, Jonathan? I'm very good, thank you. I have a nice cup of tea. I was slightly worried, though, that you'd meant that Loftus-Cheek had saved us and that he was a bellend, just for a second or two. But it, um, 
it disappeared when I thought, oh no, no, he means he means the uh, the linesman. But just for a second, I was worried. So, Do you know what that 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 very thought actually occurred to me as well? I thought, blimey, people will think that I mean. I mean Loftus Cheek, but of course, which of course I don't. I mean the bell end in question, of course, is uh, is the linesman whose the line. name I, I don't know. Alternatively, by Sarri, who somehow had brought um, Loftus Cheek on. You could argue that, that mm. he didn't saved by the bell end. But um, yeah. no, then I, I mused longer and thought, no, of course, Chidge means uh, the bizarre, the bizarre reaction of the linesman, who, despite um, William, William was clearly. Um, dancing all over his vision wasn't he because that was his excuse that well, that's, would... that's absolutely lame which we will we will talk about in depth do not worry we will we will right now uh it was just going to be me and jk tonight because uh i've just been a very 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 busy boy which meant that you know normally i i email all the all the chaps and chapesses that we have on on the on the fan cast a few weeks uh in advance to say when are you all free when would you like me to schedule you in I've just been so busy. I haven't had time to do it. And, uh, you know, I texted a few of them yesterday and they're all, you know, Marco's working. Alex is abroad somewhere. Uh, Clayton can't. Dan could. I mean, it's just, I was getting panicking, actually. I thought, you know, you know, Jonathan and I could do it. But I tell you what, I tweeted him yesterday and he said, well, I'm doing another podcast, so I might not be able to. And blow me, he came up. He came up Trump's about an hour ago, and I love him for it. Mr. Joe Tweedy, what a legend. <laughs> Super introduction, Tweedy. Yeah, uh, glad to be on there, Chitcha. Yeah, brilliant, mate. I mean, not only have you helped us out of the shit, which is brilliant, but, I mean, you know, you're one of our favourite guests. Everybody loves it when you're on the show because you talk more sense than Jonathan and I have in probably 11 years of doing a podcast. So <laughs> and and we, need, we needn't speak, really. I know, I know. It takes the pressure off, mate, doesn't yeah, it? Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So great, great to have you on, Joe. Fantastic yes. stuff. Right now uh, on tonight's little show. Uh, uh, there we go. Proof of proof was needed. I don't know if you can see this, Joe, because probably not in Mixler, but Carolina Blues has just tweeted that Tweeds is the goat, and I think he means the greatest of all time, not the one I'll with horns. Yeah, take exactly. It. All right. Now on the show tonight, uh, we muse over the fact that one of the worst offside decisions ever seen i mean it's just unbelievable shouldn't let chelsea get away with what was a very poor performance and in part two uh, we experienced deja vu all over again with chelsea offering no creativity no goal threat and bite or goals from midfield uh, with chance of we want sarri out we ask is sarri the most unpopular manager of roman abramovich's reign and can we draw any real positives from what was after all a win for chelsea and of course is there a way forward uh, in part three, we take a look ahead to Wednesday's match against Brighton before the usual parish notices. And part one of a bumper crop of emails this week. And in part four, JK and I read out the remainder of this week's emails. There's so many because, of course, we've got a backlog from last week. But uh, they're, they're, all, they're kind of themed around some people are talking about the football and some people are talking about kind of Chelsea-related stories. So they're kind of interesting this week. Now, don't forget, you can listen to the show live every Monday at 7 o'clock of the p.m., uh, by going to M- uh, Mixler, which is, of course is mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea hyphen fancast, where, of course, you can join in the chat by posting on the live chat page, uh, which so many of you are already doing. Yes, Jean-Paul Guevara. I'm, I'm going to now refer a few of them. Uh, Jean-Paul Guevara says, Deja vu all over again is a tautology. Yes, I'm yeah. aware of that. It's also Absolutely a... It's, correct. It's also a joke. That's the point, you see. But don't let that worry you. Now, uh, Dean Mears oh. says... 
Uh, I used your pod last week as inspiration for my CFC UK piece. Name checks for all of you. Oh my God, Dean, what on earth have you written? Will I will I will I have to sue for libel? We'll find out, no doubt, when I when I see it next week. Or for plagiarism, Chich. No, 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 no. Dean Dean can't be uh, done for plagiarism. He's name checked us all, and he's taken inspiration from the podcast. And and right. Dean is, as you know, is technically a Chelsea fancast writer, so he can't be done for plagiarism. But he can be sued for libel. Oh, okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have him on notice for that. Uh, we've got Bob Usray in the house. Uh, we've got Adam Finnegan, Carolina Blues, Rob. Co- I tell you, a lot of the love. I'm seeing people in here I haven't seen for a while. This is good. This is good. Um, we've got uh, Breedsy in here who says thought the chanting during the game was bad form. To be honest, we'll, we'll discuss that, mate. He says get behind the team during the game, chant Serie A after we've lost. I think that's a, a view. We'll discuss that. And uh, Mike Greenstein says, my first time in Mixler. Give me a shout. There we go, Mike. We just have. There are a few, few. Uh, I mean, I, I hesitate to say this, uh, Mixler virgins. All right. I think you meet, you take that in the, the way I mean it. So it's lovely to see. If you're in here in the first time, it's brilliant. Uh, we also, and I must say this, the wonderful Natalie Bartley. Natalie and I, uh, you know, uh, had a Facebook chat last week. Jo- even Jonathan won't know this. Natalie is one of the original listeners to the fancast. When we first started, I think Natalie was actually in the original Facebook group we had, which is uh, which had about 50 people in it. So right when we started, and uh, I, I remember at the time I was watching uh, The West Wing, which is a fantastic uh, American series about uh, an American president. And uh, they had this famous kind of campaign slogan because I think it was, uh, I mean, bizarrely actually, I think it was Bartlett, President Bartlett, played by Martin Sheen. And uh, they used to have this campaign campaign slogan saying, let Bartlett be Bartlett. And I used to joke with Natalie saying, let Bartley be Bartley. So there you go. It is fantastic to see her back. And uh, just to finally wrap this up, uh, John Paul Guevara says, I got chidged. You certainly did, my friend. But no, no, nothing mean intended by it. But there you go. Right. Uh, Thanks to me waffling on, I've had to shut up, really, because we need to talk about football, which we'll do in a minute. Right, where does one start? Where does one start? I mean, what, what, I, what I will say is that, uh, very luckily for me, um, I I was doing my uh, Love Sport uh, Fans Forum show, which is on 3 o'clock to 7 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon on Love Sport Radio, which, okay, I know you know you lot are usually at the football or watching the, the Chelsea match, um, which makes it rather hard to listen. But if you're not, if we're not playing on a Sunday, do, do give it a listen. It's a little bit different from what I normally do because I'm a bit less one-eyed. Well, that's not really true. I tried to be less one-eyed and fail spectacularly, but it's good fun. Uh, but you know, because of that, I, I only had half an eye on the game, so I had to watch it all back on the telly last night when I got in. But even even I knew it was rubbish with just half an eye on it. It was it was just obvious, but uh, it did turn. The game did turn, and we won it. And we shouldn't forget that. But I mean, frankly, the only reason we did was because I think one of the worst offside decisions i've seen jonathan and and i mean you can add to that that rudiger probably should have been sent off what a terrible terrible linesman and porson performance it was 
I mean, we should have had a penalty too, actually, before people cope me off for saying we shouldn't. We should Unbelievable. Have, yeah, that, that got beautifully forgotten. Oh, match. yeah. But it got swept under the carpet because it, the whole the whole agenda was uh, how Cardiff had been so oh, yeah. brilliantly affected by refereeing decisions. But I have to say, Chid, I reckon uh, that if it had been called offside, I still think we'd have won. Because Why so? Suddenly the urgency was there. Suddenly, having played like complete arses for 80 minutes, they suddenly just skipped up. And also, mm-hmm. Cardiff were knackered. They couldn't possibly have played the way they were playing. I remember looking at the beginning and thinking, they're so in their faces. There shouldn't be an excuse because it was completely um, appalling. But um, it was, a, it was a, a dreadful, dreadful decision for Asby's goal. And the, the, the linesman excuse wasn't it that William was in his way, but in which case he must have some kind of bizarre tunnel vision because I think you could easily just have... Well, I thought the idea behind being a linesman, having done it myself, was that if somebody was in your way, you just got out of it you know you moved to the right or the left you know unless William somehow masked him William became this this deliberately sort of standing there t- deliberately to try and get in his way but it was a, a, an absolutely appalling decision wasn't it but um but Rudiger um should have been sent off not for the um uh, being the last man because I think no second think, yellow really Kepler, yeah second yellow yeah. But it seemed pretty obvious to me early on that Paulson up because the very first this very first somebody being dragged to the ground was um uh, wasn't it Rudiger being dragged to the ground yeah that should have been a penalty and, I and yeah and it should have been and he didn't give it and you wonder whether in the in the players minds they go oh he's not doing that then he's not giving fouls yeah. so we just go to town because they everybody seemed to be pulling everybody else it wasn't just that it was Rudiger they were the ones they highlighted if you looked at some of those slow-mo back of the uh of the corners, everybody was chipping in, dragging somebody or blocking somebody or having their arms around it. So it's almost as if Pawson made a decision, I'm not giving any of those, which I think some of them do, some refs do. So he was at least consistent, but... um, uh, Consistently shit. That's a real claim, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So in... um, But obviously obviously there should have been a yellow card at some stage for Rudiger, because Rudiger was in a strange place yesterday. And uh, as were most of the players, but he just seemed to be incapable of doing a, a decent tackle without manhandling somebody. Um, Jonathan, they... Jonathan, Jonathan, yeah. I thought yeah. so. I read something. I can't remember where I read it. I've been reading so much today, but I read something really interesting about uh, Rudig. It might have been Liam's, um, Liam Toomey's, uh, you know, player ratings. But yeah, because Cardiff so effectively blocked, or they, you know, they 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 took. Uh, Alonso and, yeah. and Louise out of the game, yes. it, but they left Rudiger, yes. so he had more of the ball, and they left him knowing for well he wouldn't be able to do much with it, which is yes. kind of what happened. Playing those ridiculous forty-yard passes to nobody. Yeah, he, yeah exactly. I mean, yeah, the, yeah. The, the thing is, the thing is, gents. I mean, Joe, uh, I'll aim this at you. I mean, in a sense, uh, I did sit there thinking, Christ, you know. I mean, I, I have to be honest. I was in such a weird position with this because I can't stand Cardiff. And I cannot, or I should say, I can't stand Cardiff, and I can't stand Neil Warnock even more, Colin Wanker. But I have to say, it was such a bad decision, and we were playing, I, I think, so badly, and it was so undeserving, that I actually, even I, had an ounce of sympathy for them. Um, and in a sense, it, I mean, I know, I know I've know, i got Paul Crowder in as often, he hates VAR, I won't bore you into the reasons why. You'll see if you're in Mixley, he'll no doubt take you through it all. But it kind of made me think, Joe, that it, it's, it makes a good case for it. But having said all that, Joe, it, you know, we, we've been on the wrong end of, of a fair amount of decisions in our time, so it's kind of quite pleasing to see one go for us in a in a sense as well, wasn't it? 
Yeah, and I think the points you make about Warnock and Cardiff are, are for me that they kind of override the the sympathy that I might have had for another team. You know, I, ideally, I'd like to look back and, and maybe Cardiff get relegated by a point, and then you know the uh, oh yeah, yeah, I'm the Aspinetta goal is is the one thing that sort of uh, stopped them from staying up. But yeah, I mean, it, it was you know it, we've had some horrific decisions go against us, and, and historically that seems to be a thing that happens, particularly in European competitions, but. I I don't know if you've seen the actual still of the goal. It actually looks like Aspilicueta is defending. You know, like we've got two defenders who are going to, they're so far ahead of the actual uh, play. It looks like they're actually defending. So I, I've not seen a, a decision like that in, I, I can't remember how, how you know, you, normally it's an inch or, you know, there's a little bit of light or it's, you know, the, the shoulder is, is, is offside. I mean, they were like two metres offside. <laughs> so yeah, I, I can see, I can see where the sympathy is with them, but, yeah, I mean, I I don't really have a great deal for for Warnock. I mean, the the ending of the match was, was pure comedy with him staring down the uh, the referee in the middle of the uh, in, in the middle of the, the, the stadium with the fans. I thought, I thought it was wonderful, Joe. I oh, thought, it, was, it was fantastic. Yeah, it was really really great, great comedy, great theatre. Absolutely, he's such a comical character. But standing in the middle of the centre circle and then rather pathetically waving at all four corners and still yeah. looking at the referee, it was so funny. No, no, he's just—he's just a wanker. Let's be frank about this. Yeah, Yeah. you know. In fact, actually, um, there's a brilliant uh, post on Mixler, which I know you'll both enjoy. They're they're posting so quickly. I've got to scroll down and find it. Uh, I don't quite know how to pronounce this, but it's E O C I N E. So if you want to hazard a guess, then please fill me in. He says, I felt for Cardiff, or she, it could be she, I felt for Cardiff for all of five seconds, and then I saw Colin's reaction and moved from pity to hilarity, <laughs> which I which I think actually uh, sums it up. I mean, for me, okay, you know, I, 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 we'll, we'll go into this in great detail in part two, and, I, you know, I, I was delighted we won, because how could you not be delighted we won with Chelsea supporters, for Christ's sake? But... You know, there was it was tinged with the the reality of what was going underneath. But I have to say that other than that, the biggest plus side from the day was witnessing Warnock losing his shit, uh, Jonathan, which was just uh, priceless, wasn't it? It was phenomenal. I don't have the. I know you you hate him, Cheech. I I do. I, I've always have I, done. I I see him as a kind of throwback. And uh, I wish uh, I wish I could throw him back throw him back. back to where he back to the fucking pond he crawled out of. <laughs> but I. I I love the fact that there will be some kind of contention. I just, I look forward to that. You just know. And instead of even shaking Sarri's hand at the end, he had a go at him. And he had a go yeah. at Louise as well, for no apparent reason whatsoever. I think I mean, saying, as if Louise could affect the outcome of the offside. Nothing would give me greater pleasure, Jonathan, to, than for one day to see either a referee, a player, or another manager just smack him one when he has that kind of meltdown. You know, some, it just, it's just crying out to happen. He's like, do you know what he's like? He, he's, a, he's, a, he's a Yorkshireman, which doesn't really improve my demeanour towards him, to be honest. But uh, he's, like a, he's like a little Jack Russell or a Yorkshire Terrier that snaps yeah, at your yeah. ankles. So yeah. ultimately, you have to shut it up by kicking it as far as you can. To be fair, about all... the reason that also, that he, so he said that he was so fed up about the offsides was that they'd been practising all week not to have anybody standing on the post. For three weeks, they'd really drilled them so that they wouldn't, so that anybody left in the box would be offside. Mm. So one of his drills works to perfection, and the officials completely cock it up. I mean, it was appalling, I do agree. It was awful, it, it awful. Me of, of, we had a player in my Sunday league called Steve Pratt. Pratt by name, <laughs> Pratt by nature, who would actually 
feet so far offside that he would say, I'm offside, rather than actually give in to the fact he might be able to score a goal because you had you had the club linesman. The club uh, substitute was always the linesman and he was asleep most of the time. But it was on a par with that. I suddenly thought, God, we're in Sunday league territory here. Nobody understands the law. But, oh, it was. But once again, I'll go ahead with this. I still think that... Um, we were suddenly so much in the ascendancy, and we'll go on to this in a minute, that I, I you know, it, it, it was remarkable the amount of energy we suddenly created in the last 10 minutes, mm. having been, having been, it was one of the most appalling performances. I, <clears throat> I'm going back into the years and years, at least, at least David Stride and uh, John Sparrow. At John least Sparrow. The bit of effort. There was yeah. effort when they, even if they were playing shite, there was effort. But God, that was uh, uh, the the lack of intent or application. They were they wasn't talk about Sar- we hate Surrey ball. No Surrey ball being played. They were all. It was just a kind of weird. Yeah, I don't they know can't, what they're doing. They can't they, play it, mate. That's no, why. But, but it, you know, it's integrated, Chidge. It's not. It's not that it's. There's been no improvement. It's actually got worse. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll, we'll 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 dig into that. We'll dig into that in part two. But. Uh, one of the but, reasons we have everybody on Mixler is because this is a crisis moment in the season, isn't it? They want to hear what, what, what we're going to discuss because of that out, that absolute poo that we saw yesterday. Well, you know what? I, here's the thing. I think it, it possibly... Well, it's, that's a good question. Is it a crisis? Um, well, well, I'll, well, let's talk about this now. Bollocks, let's do it. Um, see, I, my guts tell me that if we had lost, it would have been a crisis moment, but I don't... I think. I mean, I actually think that, in a sense, what will happen, and this we will pick up much later in the program. I know, but I, I think, in a sense, uh, that you know, it, it, it saved his job yet again. I mean, Ruben Loftus Cheek has, has saved his job by by getting that winner. Uh, I mean, and, and I know that there is, you know, an alternative reality, which is we are still only one point uh, above, uh, you know, sorry, uh, out, you know, off top four, you know, so. I don't think we're in a crisis at all. But what I do think is that, you know, football supporters aren't stupid in spite of what Paul Crowder might think. But we're not, you know, and we know what we see. We know what we see. And the reality is that that win does not and should not paper over the cracks. I'm just going to read a quote here by um, by uh, the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful Dom Fifield, who, who, who covers Chelsea for The Guardian. And is a, is a lovely bloke as well, actually. Occasionally he comes on our Friday Night Love Sports show to talk about the press conferences. But um, this is what he wrote uh, yesterday. He says, Those who witnessed this match will not be hoodwinked into believing Chelsea merited anything. For well over 80 minutes, this had been Sarri's nadir, a display so grotesque it felt worse than the capitulation at Bournemouth, the meek mishmash at Arsenal, or even the thrashing endured at Manchester City, the most emphatic suffered under Roman Abramovich's ownership. Joe, I, I think, as always, Dom nails it there. I, I completely agree, Church. I think that uh, article in, in, in total was, was not just really a, a kind of summation of the match. It was a pretty pretty kind of damning indictment of the entire season. And I, I, completely, make him, I completely make him correct. You know, it's... When you go into a game and you make such massive changes or, you, you know, you leave your best players on the bench, you leave your informed players, you leave your confident players on the bench and you're making a point to suggest that, you know, this group of players has, for all intents and purposes, been resting for two, three weeks. We've been preparing for two, three weeks for this game. To then go and deliver that performance for 70, 80 minutes is, is absolutely diabolical. I mean, you know, you're, 
you're, I mean, I'm not even looking at the, the Loftus-Cheek and Hudson-Odoi stuff here. I mean, it, why is Eden Hazard and Kante not playing? You know, Jorginho played for Italy during the week. You know, it's not, again, you know, the, these are these are all international players. They can all play, you know, as many games as possible. It, it just, it felt like, uh, again, another one of these decisions that Sari makes where he's he's kind of backing his principles and, you know, this is this is how we're going to play and this this is the team and I'm not listening to anyone and, and you know, these players will be on the bench. But, Again, it was it was just another performance where nothing really went right. I mean, we had seven billion percent possession, and we I think we managed three shots on target. Yeah, you know, yeah. one of them one of them was offside, and when one of them was was the, was the goal. You know, so I mean, it's nothing is really improving. I think again, what what, what Jonathan said. I, I put a tweet out the other day that you know the, the longer the story's coaching the team, the, the worse we the seem worse to they be. Get. Yeah, you I know, saw that. And that's shouldn't really be happening by any stretch of the of coaching. You know, you, you can you can have the complete opposite view and be so pro sorry and, and try and blame the players, but you have to kind of there has to come to a point where you have to look at the the, the side and say, we're not improving, right? We're, we're kind of getting worse. And it, it's kind of weird because going back to what you said earlier, you know, if you if you look at the the season from you know, just ignore the performances, you know, we're we're one point off being third, we're still in the Europa League. Like the stats say that this is a pretty good season for Chelsea, but as you're saying, the you know for people who are paying attention, this feels like a completely unsustainable manner of of, of playing. And I think again, you know, bar sort of Giroud and, and Loftus Cheeks and Hazard's impact to that game, it, it was going to be a it was going to be another loss. So I, I don't really know what's what's going on in his head at the moment. What what he's going to do against uh, against Brighton? You know, who he's going to pick, who he's going to play, because it seems to be the same team, the same experienced players. It's it is just a bit of a mess, Chish, to be perfectly yeah, honest. It is. Well, we're gonna. I mean, Joe's done a brilliant introduction, really, into exactly what we're gonna talk about in part two. But to remind you, um, as I said earlier, we're gonna experience. Well, we experienced deja vu all over again. So I'm gonna do the joke again, Jean Paul. Um, <laughs> with uh, very Love good. Again, yes, I for, even funnier than I thought it was the first I, time. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, as Joe was alluding to there, and, and no doubt we'll, we'll drill down a bit in a minute, Chelsea offered no creativity, no goal threat, no bite or goals from midfield. And uh, with chance of we want Sarri out and others, uh, we ask, is Sarri the most unpopular manager of Roman Abramovich's reign? There's a caveat on this, which I will reveal after the break. And uh, other than that, can we actually draw any real positives from what was, after all, a, ch- a win for Chelsea? And uh, is there a way forward from where we feel we are at the moment? We'll be back in a sec. The only place for Chelsea fans. Footballfancast.com. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper chels. Right, welcome back. I'm Stanford Chidge. You're listening to the Chelsea Fancast, and uh, we've already got part one under our belts. I've got Joe Tweedy and Jonathan Kidd with me. Great to have them both on the show, as ever. Now, Thank quick you. Uh, pleasure. Right, quick um, plug for the uh, wonderful Chelsea Fancast website. Um, which, of course, you'll find on ChelseaFanCast.com. We've got Dean Mears in uh, in uh, Mixler at the moment, who's uh, bantering with everybody in there. There's loads of people in there, actually. So uh, if you're not in there, make sure you get on there next week. Um, 
Dean, of course, writes for us, as do many other great people who I will give a nice shout-out to at the end of the show, but do check it out. There's loads of great stuff on there. Not just articles that are going up, but also like a little bit of background about the fan cast, who we all are, you know, lots of the old shows, that kind of stuff. Anyway, enough of that already. Now, uh, another quick plug. We've been working with uh, Hyundai uh, for the last kind of, I don't know, really, six months maybe, um, because they've got a brilliant competition called the Extra Mile, where they encourage... You lot, because I think the only people they're working with on this are us, but they encourage you lot to uh, to write in and tell them how you've gone the extra mile supporting Chelsea. You, you only get about 400 words to do it, so it's not much. But uh, if you do that, this is what will happen, and I can explain this easiest by uh, telling you that the latest winner's been announced. This is a guy called Robbie McHarg from Edinburgh who travels the length of the country and beyond to watch Chelsea play. Now, Robbie's dedication to supporting Chelsea has seen him travel by bus across the continent quite literally on the road to European glory and Robbie's first European adventure was in 2013 interesting that it was 2013 a a season somewhat redolent of this one uh, where he travelled almost a thousand miles by bus to the game for the UEFA Europa League semi-final against FC Basel Uh, luckily the Blues repaid his determination with a 2-1 win secured with a last minute winner which was Louise, if my memory serves me correct. Anyway, after flying back to Edinburgh following the midweek game, Robbie then headed to London that weekend to watch Chelsea beat Swansea at Stamford Bridge, covering over 3,000 miles in just five days. And Robbie was back on the road again for the Europa League final, as again he travelled by bus to Amsterdam to see... That's probably on the, the Magic or Mystery bus or something like that. Anyway, to see the Blues crowned Europa League champions, beating Benfica 2-1 in the final... Robbie celebrated the last-minute winner before hopping back on the bus to Scotland, claiming it was all worth it, which, of course, it would have been. Now, the extra mile, as I was saying a minute ago, is there to celebrate fans by acknowledging the lengths they go to to follow their team. Every month, the competition will reward the most dedicated fans with club prizes, including match tickets and club merchandise. And at the end of the season, one of the monthly winners will also win the ultimate prize for any football fan, uh, which is the opportunity to travel across Europe to watch each of Hyundai's partner clubs in action and they are Chelsea, AS Roma, Atletico Madrid and Hertha Berlin. So you'll probably be able to watch Sarri at Chelsea and then at AS Roma. You never know. Uh, now, to enter, fans simply need to visit the website. Easiest to, to just, you know, go go to our website. You'll find a Hyundai blog on there and it'll be on there. But if you, if you can't, then just go to blog.hyundai.co.uk forward slash the hyphen extra hyphen mile. And then you go and tell your story about how you've gone the extra mile to support Chelsea. And uh, as I said, the link can be found on our Twitter I think it's pinned to the top of our Twitter feed and our Facebook pages. Um, as I said, you've only got four, it's 400 characters, not 400 words. So it's a, it's like doing a kind of a long tweet. Uh, and then you upload a, an image showing your passion for Chelsea for a chance to win club prizes, as I said, like match tickets and official merch. So the question is, how have you gone the extra mile in support of Chelsea? Now, um, I suspect uh, the 3,000 uh, Chelsea fans who were there uh, at Cardiff on uh, Sunday, yesterday, uh, are certainly wondering... Uh, about the extra mile or so they did I think also because I think uh, there was a bus replacement service so the journey back would have been bloody horrendous and this is the kind of stuff that fans have to go to when they follow Chelsea away it's hard work Um, and of course when they got there Jonathan they would have realized uh, to their horror no doubt that um, Hazard and Kante weren't in the starting 11 so Sarri had managed to not pick the only two world-class players we've got because apparently they're tired and they can't play uh, 70 games, which I found quite staggering. 
But also, you, you could argue that Giroud should have been playing as well, shouldn't you? Yep. Yeah, yep, definitely. The fact that he scored the three for us the other day. But his big thing, isn't it, that all the opposition isn't as good as um, teams in the Premier League. He was very uh, disdainful during the week of um, Montenegro's standard. Um, and we're going to get onto it. But um, uh, at least he started Barkley, which therefore didn't make much sense either, as well as starting uh, I know. Jorginho. Um, but yeah, it was a, a bizarre selection. But you always hope in that instance that the players are going to stand up for themselves and... Uh, uh, and perhaps somehow play with an energy that will mean you don't need to have Hazard and Kante. But um, the reality was completely different. And of course, um, uh, poor old Adoy, having become the uh, the darling of the England fans during the week, um, uh, I remember we prophesied he wouldn't start yeah. on Friday. Yeah. The very fact he didn't get on at all was absolutely appalling. Um, but um, particularly since... Uh, William had one of his uh, bizarre games and Pedro ran around like Duracell bunny without any batteries. It was, uh, it was a very strange, uh, strange performance. Can I talk about the performance here? The- no, no, we'll no. save that. No, no, we'll get onto that in a minute. I mean, I, I have to say, Matt, I totally agree with you. And I thought, I thought not picking Hudson Adoy was just willfully stubborn. That's the only way I can put it, particularly if he didn't pick Hazard, because we know that Hudson Adoy plays better on the left. We know that it's yeah. it's, fool, it's foolhardy to expect Hudson Odoi to bump Hazard out of the side. I mean, come on, let's get real here, people. I, I have no problem with him going on the right ahead of uh, William or Pedro, but let's face it, he's better on the left. So if you're not going to start Hazard, you should bloody well start Hudson Odoi. Why not? I'll tell you what, though, Joe. Uh, I mean, I think watching the match without Hazard and Kante, I'll say it again, are only two world-class players. It was like watching the ghost of Chelsea future. If you, if ever, if ever any of you remember a Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, uh, Scrooge is visited by three ghosts: the ghost, the, the 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 ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future. And it was a rather bleak future for poor old Scrooge if he didn't change his ways. And that's what it was like watching Chelsea without their two world class players, absolutely bereft of any creativity or energy. It was it was just pitiful, Joe, wasn't it? I thought. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, we're becoming sort of the, the Premier League champions of keeple, aren't we? I mean, it's we can keep possession and pass the ball from left to right, and not, not really do much of it better than probably probably any side in the league. And you know, I, I often kind of see these conversations, particularly on social media, with people who seem to think that that we play better without Hazard or that Hazard going is is going to be some sort of saving yeah, right. race of the club. I mean, this is this is the reality of what we have, particularly if we have a transfer ban. I mean, this, this is largely going to be the team that sort of plays or is, is available to, to pick probably in the summer, if you're assuming that, that, that Hazard gets sold and, and maybe Kante equally get, gets fed up with, with, with the club as well and potentially goes. I think also it, it really shows as well that there's, in that midfield dynamic, I mean, Kante is, is very low-key quite creative. I think he actually does more going forward than, than Barkley or Kovacic in... In, in the system as well. And we actually missed him in the right-hand side because he's, okay, he's not going to be a, uh, you know, the, a traditional creative player, but he does actually carry the ball. You know, he dribbles, he makes some decent passes. And, you know, I think also we actually missed that as well. But Hazard, Hazard's kind of non-inclusion, you know, I think that was the, the most damning thing. We, we often, I often, you know, kind of hear people say that, you know, William, William is, is better from the left-hand side. That That's kind of the player that we bought him was to play him on the left-hand side. And again, you know him and uh, and Pedro for the for the first sort of forty five minutes might as well have not 
not really been on the pitch. I mean, they were so sort of such little happening through them, such kind of, uh, you know, creativity, as as you say. They're, they're, there's really nothing to to look at in that first half performance. And, 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 you know, you're looking for positives and, you know, life without Hazard or life without Kante, as you're saying. You know, it, it doesn't look particularly appetising. And you know, this is with a coach who, you know, repeatedly would say he doesn't like the transfer market, that this is a guy who is meant to be able to save um, or, you know, kind of save Chelsea in terms of sort of the performance and change the dynamic of the club. And yet we look we look more sterile than we have even under sort of Conte and, and Mourinho when people get this sort of image of their football in their head. I don't think we're, we're any more better or we're any more sort of cutting in the final third. We are with a, you know, a quote-unquote attacking manager. And it, it seems to be, again, you know, you could... You could take this performance and, and swap it with any, you know, of the 20, 25 performances we've had that, that are like this throughout the season, and you'd get the same result. The difference being that that Hazard and, and, and Kante, again, you know, without them on the pitch, we, we look completely and utterly directionless. And you know, as you say, you know, looking towards the future without Hazard in particular, you know, I think Chelsea fans should be careful what they wish for. Well, I, I, exactly. I mean, it, it, it was I, as I said. I, the only the best way to describe it, from my point of view, was it's like the ghost of Christmas future. Yeah. But here's here's the thing, Jonathan. I mean, you know, we 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 talk about this a lot, and I and I have to be honest. I'm, I I don't mean to out you here by by any means, but I did see a few tweets of yours yesterday, where suddenly you know your utter despair at what was happening was going on which 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 is very unusual for you now here's the thing i wanted to ask i mean you know again it was you know this much lauded uh, possession nonsense you know they had 71% possession apparently they had 21 shots on target or sorry 21 shots although i find that hard to believe but they only had 3 on target none in the first half i mean if if people want to know why so many supporters just can't bear it that would be be it for me. It's what is the point of possession without any penetration? Well, I didn't even think that they were particularly playing uh, possession football yesterday. I thought they were just attempting to um, not get turned over by a really energetic Cardiff side. I have to say that that yesterday was almost a, was a turning point for me. I'm happy <clears> to be, I'm happy to be outed. I got um, uh Teresa Blue sent me a note saying, um, uh, welcome, brother, because she's, oh, she's been <laughs> advocating um, his, uh, his uh, exclusion from the club for some time now. And, I, uh, and I've always, you know, come back and said, well, give him a bit of time. Come on, you know, let's see what happens. But yesterday was the worst. Um, well, I suppose it wasn't the worst because, you know, obviously we've, we've seen City and we've seen, um, we've, we've seen them lose at Spurs. That was terrible. And Arsenal. But it was the... It, it, there wasn't anything happening at all. In past games, I've been able to look at it and think, yeah, all right, they're trying to play the triangle. They're trying to press really, really hard. They didn't even do any of that yesterday. So, therefore, I couldn't see what Amy had at all. And I described it on Twitter as completely clueless and aimless. So, I don't actually think they were playing possession football. They were trying to play his triangles, as usual. And I once again, I'll go back to this. I don't think he ever tries to specifically play possession football. He tries to get up the pitch by playing the triangles and then play a, um, a ball through and a shot. But once again, they just they don't shoot if they're not shooting. And I don't get this 21 shots. So perhaps they do all the 21, most of the 21 shots during the last 10 minutes. Um, some of the shots were dreadful. Um, once again, we had a, a, a Kovacic shot that almost hit the corner flag. We had a Rudiger shot that was just completely laughable. Um, uh, so they, it, it isn't to me. It's it's it, when it works. It's the 
it's the it's the press most of the time, as they did against Everton, where they he said it was the best half they'd had, and I tended to agree with him, except once again they didn't shoot. But they did stop Everton completely from playing from the press. There was no evidence of the press at all yesterday because they were being bullied, which made me also worry by the fact that you know Cardiff were just were were preventing them from playing by by pressing them and being in their faces. And I thought, come on, you're all better than this. And I think this is one of the problems I have with the team, is that on their own, they're all better players. And yet, in a collective, that it's the worst I've seen them play for years. Some of these players, you think, actually, you're a good player, but you're not playing, you're not playing anywhere near your, your, your potential within this system. So um, I, I, I don't think people go on, particularly on Twitter, social media, about, you know, possession football is useless. I don't think they're trying to play possession football for possession football's sake. He's trying to pass the ball into situations where he gets the ball into a, into a uh, into the penalty area or a ball is put across, and then there's a there's a strike on goal, and it's not happening. It's not happening for a variety of reasons, and we're going to get onto it in a minute. Um, uh, uh, how um, yes, he said because the shots on target were three. There were none in the first half. That's why. So it all took place in the second half when they upped a gear. When Loftus Cheek came on and didn't, once again, Sarismo wasn't being played. It was just um, he got the ball and took people on, yeah. and, it, and it encouraged people. And you then go, well, yeah, all right. If they play that way, let's let them play that way. Let's and once again, you know, we'll get on to it. Barkley might then be a, be a decent player as he played for England, you know. But I, I'm, so, I'm so we'll John, Jonathan. I've got yeah. a question for you. It, yeah. it, in a, I mean, I, I actually I, that was brilliant stuff actually because I mean I'm I, you know didn't think about it clearly to the degree that you have and I thought that was you know really well put actually so in, in a sense you're, you're kind of saying that they won that game in spite of Sarri because they're not playing how he wants them to play well they didn't play at all in the first 80 minutes the way he wants them to play it wasn't anything there was no I couldn't see any of the pressing of what press they were being pressed themselves they couldn't get out of it they were they were they, they were put upon in the same way that Arsenal had them they were because they went for it. They were the same thing happened with Everton in the second half. Everton went for it and stopped them from playing. So um, no, there wasn't there wasn't any Sarri ball. And in the last ten minutes, they actually just played whatever they played because they upped their energy and they could see they were gonna they could possibly score. So suddenly, Loft, I say Loftus Cheek and Hazard are just running at people, and Hazard couldn't deal, and um, Cardiff couldn't deal with it at all. So yeah, it, it to me that the last ten minutes wasn't was just them playing. Thinking we're gonna we're gonna win this. They weren't thinking yeah. I must I must be disciplined and play the triangles or look up. They weren't. They just went for it. And they, and you yeah. revealed in going for it how much better than Cardiff they are. Well, exactly. All their players are much better than Cardiff. Exactly. No, that's that's spot on. That's really absolutely spot on. Now, Joe, I mean, you know, uh, it's all a bit of a conundrum for my poor old addled brain. Um, but I think Jonathan does make a good point there. Actually, I've got to be honest. I mean, is that how you saw it? Yeah, no, I, I agree actually. Um, I think the the point about uh, the sort of the dynamic of the game changing when when Loftus Cheek comes on is actually pretty valid. And I think now actually Jonathan's been been talking about it. It it kind of makes sense that the reason that he's maybe not picking Loftus Cheek because he he is an aggressive direct player with the ball. He wants to take people on. He wants to kind of push forward. He wants to attack. Maybe he's not sort of you know in terms of sort of this. This kind of triangle, vertical, tiki-taka stuff that Sarri was trying to put in. Maybe that's not his his forte. I mean, there was a there was a moment when he came on. I think he was a couple of minutes into when he came on. The ball came to him, and I thought, okay, the easy pass is to to just lay it back to. I think it was Kovacic. Or, was it Kovacic? Might have been Kovacic at the time. 
Instead, he sort of rolls his man and then sort of powers forward sort of 20 yards and, and then starts pushing forward. And maybe that's not maybe that's not what Sari's after in terms of in terms of sort of what he wants from that left central midfield role. But no, I, I kind of agree. I mean, I actually think you know this season and your point's interesting, Chid, is that you know our, our best performances, I think, really in, in terms of let's say recently the Tottenham game and probably the City Cup final were were kind of anti-Sari in terms of the approach to the game. I think actually. You know, we can talk about the the level of ability in the squad, and, and maybe there there need there needs to be some serious reinforcement. But Chelsea are still a really really good counter attacking side. You know, we, and I, I still yeah, feel yeah. that even when we set up to counter attack, and okay, it, it's going to be against better opponents, but particularly against City. I mean, that 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 game we played against them in the final was one of the best performances we've we've put in against a, a top team for for ages. Um, you know, we're still set up to to be able to counter and. You know, I think again, you know, a lot of the success we're having is is in spite of you know the 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 kind of approach that Sari's taken. I mean, look at both of the goals. I mean, we're we're trucking in crosses into the box rather than sort of looking for cutbacks and looking for for sort of you know passes into into a strike in the area. We're actually putting sort of you know shelling crosses into the area looking for a for a header. So, uh, and again, I, I don't know whether this is, is a direction from from Sari. You know, whether he's come on and said, okay, let's let's play more direct. It, it seems to be just a, a, a sort of element of the team going, OK, you know, we've, we've got Giroud on now. We've got Loftus-Cheek. We've got some physicality in the team. Hazard's out wide. Right? Let's let's start being a bit more direct. Let's start playing it into Giroud. Let's start, you know, let, let Loftus-Cheek drive with the ball. Let's get some crosses into the area. It seems a little bit kind of, yeah, to, to, to maybe, you know, kind of against really what Sari's trying to trying to implement. And, and in, 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 in a sense, Joe, in a sense, Joe, that's the point because, well, you know, we won that match. I mean, okay, I, I kind of pissily said it was all down to the offside decision, but the reality is we won that match because uh, of Hazard, I think, also changed it when oh, it came so, on. Yeah. You know, Loftus Cheek uh, changed the match, and, you know, which begs the question yet again, why did he start, the, you know, with the wrong team? He does yeah. this far too much, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's an, it's an interesting question. I mean, we can keep speculating about Loftus-Cheek's injury, but it seems whenever he comes on this season, he, he, he affects the match. And we can, we can talk about his defensive deficiencies and, and all the stuff as well, but he seems to, he seems to have more of a, a net positive impact on the side whenever we play. And it seems to lift the team as well. All of yeah. a sudden, you've got someone in midfield who actually is going to go forward with the ball, who's going to sort of create in the final third, who actually wants to attack, doesn't just want to play the simple pass. And you could sort of see the team visibly lift. And I'd say the same when Giroud came on as well. You know, now all of a sudden we've got a reference point up front. The ball's, the ball's going to stick. You know, we can actually play the ball into him. We can put crosses into the box. You know, he's going he's to be a problem for centre-backs. And I think sometimes, you know, we, we depart from, from what makes us a good team. We're, we're still, you know, a physical, aggressive attacking team. We're, we're still, I think, a good side. But we're, we're sort of being curtailed a bit by this sort of structure that Sarri's trying to put in place, which... Is yeah, you know, sort of this this kind of Napoli-esque triangle football. Whereas, you know, we might as well just sort of relent to to what's making us look good for the, the last ten minutes. I mean, Cardiff really couldn't live with us. You know, it, it was as, as Jonathan said, you know, twenty-one shots in the second half. Okay, a lot of them were were from pretty poor angles. But I mean, that's almost a shot every two minutes. You know, and and that sort of relentless approach is is what we should be trying to do from from the offset of games and wow. sort of meandering through yeah. the first hour, seventy minutes, and then trying to change the game with substitutes. 
Why not absolutely, take Loftus Cheek an hour if you can only play an hour? Yeah. Get him front. Well, I, well, yeah. I mean, there is a, there is an issue with Loftus Cheek, and and I think a lot of us, you know, forget this. But like, he is being managed through uh, a back injury, yeah. which I don't think is going to go anywhere soon. I, I take issue with the. I mean, look. Here's the thing. Let's be really honest here. None of us are in the training sessions. We don't see the players day to day like Sarri does and for all we know maybe Hazard was absolutely knackered and fair enough but I also know for a fact that actually Hazard's play in fact I had a in fact I've got the stats here I brought them out on my uh because I mean you can imagine what it's like doing a radio show with two one one well neither of them support Chelsea so you can imagine the grief I was getting in the studio while this was all going on uh but I, I have this uh I feel like Neville Chamberlain here I have in my hand a stat anyway the reality is this the uh, the, the most minutes have been played this season by Aspilicueta, who's played 2,700. Then N'Golo Kante and 2,680. Then Aritha Belega, but I mean, he's not going to get tired. Then Rudiger at 2,589. Then Louise, 2,520. Jorginho, 2,471. Marcus Alonso, 2,401. Eden Hazard has played 2,333 minutes. So he's hardly played. I mean, you know, he's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eighth most played player. In fact, yeah, there you go. And then actually the rest are significantly lower than that. So of the players to have played most minutes, he has played the least, if you see what I mean. So, you know, I'm, as I said, OK, I respect the fact that Sarri's in a much better position than us to know how tired he is. But I, I do question it a bit, I have to be honest. Um, I'm going to move this on a bit, JK, because um, I read a very interesting article uh, about Higuain, who, who I think is just not not he's just not not the solution and we, we we did discuss on the show a few weeks ago didn't we that you know he was supposed to be Sarri's savior but he's not really proved it but I mean the the, the basic tenet of the article was that um Higuain admitting that he's struggling in the Premier League and he's not really up to it and he feels a bit unsupported by Sarri and Sarri I'm just going to read a few uh quotes here Sarri said that he said to me he being Higuain is difficult because the fit, this is this just merely made me like laugh my cock off actually. But anyway, he said to me it's difficult because the physical impact of the defenders here is really very strong. The referees here are really very different than in Italy, and so it's another football for him, especially for a striker. It's really very different, and so I think that he needs time. But we have no time, so we need him at his top level in the last two months. I don't know. I'd just like to see him at the top in the last two months. At the moment. Only this is really very important. We need Gonzalo at the top. It's not easy, I think, to get used to this championship. The level is different. The way of playing is different. And I think that especially for a striker, it's really very difficult to get used to the Premier League in only one or two months. Now, I, I have a bit of sympathy with that. We, we, I mean, Drogba took a year. I mean, you know, some strikers take a long time to get used to it. But I think the thing that irked me most was that he can't deal with the physical impact and the way that we defend in the Premier League. That is a problem, JK. Not to mention he looks about as quick as I do. But it, it seems completely ridiculous. He's supposed to be one of the best strikers in the world. I mean, how has he scored against all these other these other teams, particularly the, in in Italy? They, they I can get, I can answer that in two. In, I can answer that in two words. Well, three if you allow me the bit in between them. Time and space. Yeah, time and space, and also being um, possibly five years young, uh, five years older well, than he was then. Yeah. Yeah, that would be the pace, I think, because he, 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 he looks played, slow now, doesn't he? he? He played like an old bloke playing in a park yesterday. He sort of strolled about. I just found it absolutely <laughs> bizarre. He then went even further and further back to pick the ball up. He thought, hang on, no, get in the box. What are you doing? Even if you don't do anything, I don't want you in midfield. I said, We've got well, he wasn't getting any service. I mean, how many times no, no, have we but, seen strikers do that? But if you're in the box, at least you've got the opportunity, you might get the ball pumped through to you. 
But if he can't even, Jorginho couldn't even play that that lob pass that he plays, or even nobody got ahead enough to get the ball into the centre for a, for a cross. Nobody bizarre in the first. Well, the first half wasn't bizarre. The first half was absolutely appalling. So he was. I could understand why he then came back into midfield. You say because nobody got a cross in from the right in the same way they did against Fulham. I mean, I just wonder whether whether he completely underestimated Cardiff because they're second from bottom. But he should have learned by now, surely, that uh, you know all the teams are going to have a go at you in some way. All but he doesn't. He doesn't. He Jonathan, doesn't. he doesn't. He's like he's like Wenger. He he only cares about playing his yeah. fucking yeah. stupid Sarri ball yeah. system. He yeah. doesn't ever bother to set up a team to take account of the opposition's threats. He never bothers with it, which is like Wenger. You know, it's just insane. Anyway, I think Shankly used to do the same thing, didn't he? Shankly always used to say, "Don't care, I don't care about the other team. It's about yeah." But he's, about he he said that he said that, but I bet he didn't do it. I bet I'm just he, not buying he had a, it. Had a thick dossier, didn't he? Really? Come on, he was a canny Scotsman. There's no way, <laughs> no way he would have done that. Uh, Joe, that was a brilliant. Uh, you, you, I mean, you and I both follow Sebastian, who's uh, yes, a really. You, you still there, J.K.? Yeah, you suddenly disappeared. You're back, you're back. Yeah. I'm back. I never went anywhere. I promise. Um, you follow like I do, Sebastian on Twitter, who's, who, who's a French bloke and a really good uh, analyst of the game. He's got his UA for badges and all of that, so he knows more about this kind of stuff than he's I ever. Friend, yeah. yeah, he's more. He knows more about the stuff than I ever want to, <laughs> frankly. But he made a really interesting point about Jorginho, which is something I wouldn't have known before because I just don't. You know, it doesn't really kind of give me the horn, this kind of stuff, really. But he, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, why would I want to watch Napoli? I support Chelsea. Anyway, man to man, basically, he was making the difference that in the Syria A, uh, their marking in midfield is zonal, whereas in the Premier League, it's basically man to man in midfield. So basically, you know, we set English teams set up to, you know, basically set, set up man to man in midfield. I can't really say it any simpler yeah. than it is. Uh, and, uh, I thought that that was really revealing because, I mean, I know we, we usually sit here and say, oh, well, of course, they stuck a man on Jorginho and they marked him out of the game. But it's a bit more complex than that. And it kind of does, it does kind of, in my opinion, validate the argument that, like Sarri Ball, it ain't going to work in the Premier League or Jorginho isn't going to work in the Premier League, which is a different way of saying that he's just shit because clearly he's not. I mean, I think in, in, in Syria A or international football yeah, or great, even yeah. European football, he's a great player, but it's not going to work in the Premier League, is it? Yeah, and this is something that, that Seb and I have, have, have spoke about a bit in WhatsApp over the season is, is Jorginho's style. And, you know, it, it's no real surprise that, that City have got Fernandinho, who is a defensive strong player at the base of midfield first, who then plays a bit. It's not someone who, who plays a bit and then maybe does a bit of defending. Like even Guardiola in his system, they've realised that they need a defensive person in that position. Uh, Fabinho does it for Liverpool so you kind of got the, the sort of the better teams in, in the country now I've got a defensive person there and like, like Seb says you know the, the major major difference is in Italy Jorginho will get the ball he can turn he can take three four five seconds to look at the play the other team drops off they go into their kind of zones in midfield to, to sort of mark and then for him it's, it's easier to pick a pass because you're just passing through sort of space you know there, there are passing lanes created by, by zonal systems that's why Napoli he could get the ball could turn he could play passes he looked fantastic the difference in the premise, it's not even sort of when people are marking him, is as soon as he touches the ball, I mean, it's, it's why so often he simply plays left, right, or, or, you know, the kind of the way he's facing is that he doesn't really have the skill set of, of someone who's able to play on the turn. So he doesn't receive the ball, let's say, like Loftus-Cheek, who can roll people and then drive forward. Jorginho is more about receiving it and distributing it. So 
it, it's no real surprise that he struggled this season because because he has such little time and such little space in comparison to the system that he was playing in a style of play in Italy. That it, it, it's almost a completely different game here, and it brings you back to a point. I remember listening to a Robert Perez interview absolutely ages ago, and he was talking about the Premier League, and he was saying that. Like literally, as soon as you, you don't have any time to think in the Premier League, as soon as you touch the ball, you've got someone up you trying to basically kick the shit out of you. And that's kind of really, really, really what's happening to Jorginho at the moment. He's he's struggling to adapt to the fact that it doesn't matter if they're the, the bottom place team, someone will be absolutely on him. And there's no there's no time for him to roll left and right and play these passes. Well, that he al- wants to. Also, he, he can't, he, you know, he hasn't got any pace, so he can't beat them for pace. And exactly, he hasn't yeah. got the, I don't think he has the skill to, no pace, to, to, he doesn't have to the beat them. He doesn't a, have, yeah. And, and also, as well, you know, for, for as much as I'm, I'm not Cesc Fabregas' biggest fan, he doesn't have that vision. So when he does get that space to maybe play that killer pass, you know, we, we see this little lofty ball over the top to, to Higuain or Jorginho. That might be the, the one thing we've seen this season. But the other thing as well, I mean, we're talking about sort of the stuff that, I mean, his actual passing quality isn't that great. I mean, so many times this season, you see him under hit a pass or, or misdirect a pass. And I think it's often because he's under so much more pressure when he's on the ball because... In Italy, his, his passing was, was usually crisp and pretty clean in the Premier League. There was, I think, a game against, uh, uh, well, yeah, against Cardiff. He had a, a player out wide left and he, it, was just, it was a simple kind of 20-yard pass and he completely sort of undercut it and they, they, and they were counter-attacking straight away. So it feels like he's, he, he's not really getting it. And I don't know whether even, you know, in a year's time, two years' time, if he adjusts to the league, whether he's going to be that sort of player. Because, because as you say, it's not like he's got this incredible touch, incredible ability to sort of roll and beat players um, and then sort of spread the ball that way. And, and his range of passing isn't excellent. You know, it's it's a little bit confusing as to, to, to where he's eventually going to be because I think unless he has someone next to him, so, you know, switching the, the midfield, maybe bringing Kante back and playing more of a, a two in front of the back four, I don't really see where his future is because at the moment, every other team ahead of us in the league has got a definitive holding player who's more defensive, who's, who's there to defend and then give the ball um, rather than sort of be this you know, kind of deep line playmaker that, that he's trying to be. So if better coaches have, have figured that out, then then I don't know really where that leaves with you. Because I, I also can't see him playing further forward. Um, you know, I'm not sure if he has that, let's say, uh, I don't know, that sort of creativity. I think he's a, he's, yeah, I think he's a, he's a one-trick pony, Joe. Yeah. I think that's the thing. And the other thing I would say about, and I, I've got to be honest, I mean, I, I have a lot of sympathy for him, really. I yeah. mean, you know, we, we've all been there. You know, we've kind of like taken on a job uh, full of uh, hope and expectation and suddenly realise that it ain't the job for us and we're totally out of our depth and we can't cope. Well, I mean, maybe not all of us. I have, that's for sure. Um, and I do have a, an element of sympathy for him. He actually looks shell-shocked at the moment, oh, yeah. which is un- understandable given given what, he's, what he faces every week. I mean, would you share that view, JK? Well, I think he, 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 he his being substituted was pretty inevitable, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and there's a, an element of, of Loftus Cheek that I love when he he supposedly rolls um, after the ball, yeah. where he actually seems to step into the player. Yeah. And I always look at it and think, is that illegal? Because he he really does almost just charge him out of the way. But I think <laughs> because he's because he's um, uh, got his foot over the ball, it looks legitimate at the same time. But it's a very it's very dubious. I mean, it gives him uh, um, um, you know a millisecond to control the ball and go forward. Um, but I, I have to say, I've become more and more admiring of, of Loftus Cheek as the season's gone on. And um, you know, I was pretty, I was pretty harsh on him early on. I didn't think he had it. What was because I thought he was lazy. And he's just improved. And I wish he was being given, maybe because of the back, more time. Um, and uh, I agree completely about Jorginho. I think 
I, I wonder whether, in fact, the, whether the standard of the Premier League has actually really improved, um, which is which is uh, uh, reflected in the number of teams in the uh, far forward in the Champions League. And in actual fact, it really is very difficult to transplant somebody into into a side um, unless they've got um, very very um, excellent skills, particularly the ability to to just to think on their feet. Which Jorginho is is really suffering from, um, because as you say, you were saying he, didn't, he, he can't. He's not very quick. <clears throat> he can't tackle very well, and he can't pass. He hasn't got enough intelligence to pass quickly enough. Well, what is there left? You know, for, it's it's it seems as if he's he shouldn't be picked. But the, we haven't got what replacement do you have? You, if you have Loftus Cheek, well, we sold Fabregas, didn't we? Indeed, we did. So, uh, but. Um, and he wasn't really the answer either. No, I mean, I, we can we can all sit here with kind of twenty twenty yeah. hindsight, saying, yeah. "Oh, we miss Fabregas." But we yeah. used to. I, I remember me. I, I won't accuse any any of the rest of you of doing this, but I moan like stink about Fabregas in the last year or so of his career because he was too slow and he couldn't tackle. Yeah, although he was always bypassed in midfield. Any team he was, you know, they used to run through us like a knife through butter. But yeah. he could pass. Listen, I just want to add what you said uh, about Loftus Cheek actually, mate. Because I thought again, great stuff. Uh, and it just occurred to me that. You know, Loftus Cheek, I think, is in a sense, in a sense, he's like the perfect kind of Premier League player. He's a well over six foot. He's a very big, strong boy. He's quick, but he's got an amazing touch. So yeah. he's got that kind of blend of great skill and and physicality, which is kind of really what you need to survive in the Premier League. And here's just to, just to kind of run off this point. Um, it's all very well and good saying, well, but look at Man City, look how they play. They, they've got a phenomenal manager. They've spent lots of money on getting the, the right players to play the way that Guardiola wants. Um, the, but the reality is, is that, you know, the Premier League on the whole is very physical, very quick. Teams will shut you down, close you down, man mark you out of the game. So unless you've got like a, a half a billion pound team and the, and the, and the, you know, the best manager in the world managing your side you kind of need to face up to the reality of what you're dealing with uh and it's a bit you know it's a bit like you know going to going to okay i'll give you a weird analogy it's a bit like going to paris and expecting to get laid by a sexy french parisian girl just by speaking english it ain't gonna work well that happened to me I, i did that Unless you're Jonathan Kidd, it's yeah. always the caveat, really, isn't it? You know, uh, Jonathan has talents that uh, that, uh, that belie what I've just said. I'm going to move this on, folks, because uh, time is a running on, um, and we can't really not, you know, talk about uh, the uh, the. I mean, the chanting, which I think really kicked off after about half an hour. But let's be honest, it's it's been a feature of a lot of games uh, recently. <clears throat> and again, I go back to Dom Fifield, who who put it beautifully, I think. He said, blunt and bellowed admissions that, in truth, their own team are not very good, that the head coach is out of his depth, and that there's only one viable option to pursue. We want Sarri out, is what Domfield Fifield said. And it kind of made me think, um, you know, I, I do have an element of sympathy for him. I think, you know, he's bitten off more than he could chew and perhaps has been sold a bit of a lemon. And you can't treat uh, teach old dogs new tricks in terms of the lot of the players that we have. But I'd be honest with you. I mean, by the way, my caveat on here is I am not including Rafa Benitez in this assessment because Rafa Benitez was a one-off in terms of our spectacular hatred and dismissal of him uh, for for reasons that uh, had nothing to do with him eventually getting us into the top four and winning the Europa League. That was personal, as they say. But I I do wonder, Joe, I mean, is Sarri, you know, the most unpopular manager in Rowan's reign? Because... 
I don't remember Scolari getting grief. I don't really remember AVB getting grief. But he is getting, I would say, as much vitriol as frequently and for a sustained period as Rafa did, if not as personal. I think he's he's definitely the most divisive. I mean, I think that's that's unquestionable. And I think you're right. I mean, even even VS Boas, who a lot of people were uncertain with, didn't get anywhere near, particularly, I'd say, vocal in-ground you know, kind of stuff directed at him. So he might he might well be the most unpopular manager in, in Abramovich's reign. And I think some of it is is down to him. I think some of it is is kind of this this culmination of, of Chelsea's sort of demise over the past couple of seasons to being sort of a you know a, just a, a domestic team rather than the European powerhouse. I think a lot of this has culminated in in an attack on Sari. I don't think necessarily it's all it's all on him. Um, but you know, it, it feels like you know the fans that they're not going to sort of be vocal against the the board or the owner. Um, so Sari is kind of the the face of the club and the face of a lot of the target. I mean, I do feel that that fans who who go to pretty much every game, you know, are, are fed up. I've seen so many people who, you know, I would I would consider to be some of the the, the most sort of loyal and, and hardcore Chelsea supporters that I've I've ever come across. You know, being very, very, you know, unbothered by by this season. You know, you've got people not not even really bothering to go to games. People have been trying to sell their tickets to, to the game on Wednesday and they haven't sold and they're still not going to go. I haven't seen that kind of apathy towards a, towards a manager or towards a, a period at Chelsea probably, you know, since since I can remember going. So, you know, I, I think a lot of it, uh, yeah, stems from from him himself. You know, his, his dogmatic, inflexible approach, the, the way that he is... Is treating some of our, our younger players who the fans want to see. The, the fact that he has, you know, this sort of 10, 12 favourite players who can seemingly do no wrong and play every week. And I think it's just just a culmination of of he's departing or he's he's such a departure away from what Chelsea fans traditionally associate with the club. You know, and, and I think this season the, the damning thing is is that when we go when we go sort of a goal down, let's look, you know, not touch on the Everton game so much, but that feeling of, of resurgence that's kind of typified Chelsea for the past 15 years, that doesn't seem to be in this squad anymore. And I think a lot of fans kind of associate that, that with Sarri. You know, this, he's kind of stripped the heart and the soul out of the team in, in, in a kind of method of, of putting in his own philosophy and, and his own ideology. And I think that's, that's where kind of the, the unforgiving element has come from, that he's kind of stripped the soul and the, the kind of identity and, and what's, what's made Chelsea such a, a, a fantastic kind of dominant side over the past 10, 15 years. He's kind of stripped that away. I think that's what that ultimately is what's made him unpopular. But the most unpopular manager, if we're t- taking Benitez, I think he has to be um, certainly the most divisive and, and probably uh, you know in terms of his his reign, if he if he lasts the end of the season, I'll be I'll be quite surprised. Um, but it, it's yeah, it, it's it's come to a situation now where I think you know if you've got fans singing for pretty much the entirety of a game at an away game where you know they're typically the most sort of diehard fans and you know that problem is something that the, the board can't really ignore for too much longer no absolutely joe oh sorry joe, jonathan we're going putty yes, yes. jonathan what, what say you my friend i, I know we, we seem to think the board are, are, are um renewed to this kind of thing and they don't pay any attention to it but i know for a fact that when the reaction to benitez was greeted with um horror by the board after they'd appointed him so they do pay attention to this i just think that that it, it, it's easy to say I think people very early on decided they didn't like Sarri, which I think was an was a, a an error really, because um, I think the club should be praised for have, making an attempt to play a different style of football, um, which we did pretty well for the first whatever it was, fifteen games of the season. Um, 
so that we would essentially get away from being defensive and breaking. But um, uh, because it hasn't worked, it has revealed a side of the manager uh, that isn't particularly palatable. I don't think he's been helped by mm. his, his inability to speak. Um, you know, he does pretty well, but he, his personality doesn't come across as being particularly accessible. Um, the, the advantage that Conte always had was, even though his English was poor, was he at least physically did throw himself into the crowd. So you felt that he was rejoicing with the club. Whereas in this instance, you don't get any feeling that he's um, pleased with performances, even if we do win and play quite well, because he's very dour. Um, and I don't think that helps as well um, with, with people assessing him. And I don't think his uh, clothes sense and his eating cigarettes has helped him at all, just from no. a, a very basic, you know, people looking at thinking, I don't like this person, which is, uh, I don't like the way he, he comports himself, the way he behaves. And I think he's done himself a disservice with that. However, I do think it's not fair for people to call him a fraud, which appears to come up a lot, because I, I think he, he has a system and he tries to get the players to play it. And it's becoming more and more obvious, and it has completely to me now, that he can't get them to play it. And you need a different manager who changes the system. I mean, Klopp uh, um, and Pochettino, um, within games, change systems. And I don't think we'll ever get... We're unlikely to ever see him do that. <coughs> it's so dogmatic with his setup. Mm, so I yeah. honestly think that this having a go at the board... Um, is, is a mistake because at least he's had a go at doing something different. So I can admire that in him. Well, I don't, I don't see how you can absolve the board of any responsibility. No, no, I, I think the no. Well, I think exactly. What I'm saying I'm not absolving. All right, right, right. I'm, okay, I'm, I'm with saying, you. I'm with you. No, no, no. I'm saying they that whether it was Marina, she liked the way that Napoli played and wanted to see if he could make it work. Which is unbelievably stupid and naive. But there we go. That's another argument for another day. I tell you what, I, you know, I, 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 I honestly, 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 hand on heart, have some sympathy for him. I really, really do. And one of the reasons I have some sympathy for him is that I think that he's, he's kind of the wrong manager or maybe even the right manager at the wrong time. And I think what Joe's point was, Jonathan, about so many of the old, old guard, I, mean, I suppose I'm one of those in a, in a slight sense, that he's right. There are many, many, many what you would call old school, diehard, traditional uh, Chelsea supporters that have been going for 20, 30, 40 years, some even longer, who have really had enough of it all at the moment. But, you know, and they're all, and it all seems to be conflated and focused on Sarri. And I think actually what's happening is that, yeah, there are many, many reasons to not like what's going on with the football and, and thinking that. You know, it's just not right for the Premier League or Chelsea having Sarri, the manager, trying to introduce this kind of football. But I think what's happened is he's, as you said, you know, he, I think you said this, Jonathan, he's a convenient target because he's less amorphous than the board. He's visible. But I think actually what's happening is he's being scapegoated for the huge amount of other ills and things that supporters are pissed off with about the club underneath. I mean, one of the difficulties we have as supporters is that whenever there's anything wrong with the club, it's nearly always Roman Abramovich's fault, frankly. But of course, nobody, but nobody, is going to criticise Roman Abramovich. I mean, how could we when the guy's given us what we've had for the last 15 years? It's like totally cutting off your nose to spite your face. So poor old Sarri, I think. And of course, the board. I mean, somebody said on Mixler a, a minute ago or so, and here's so many people posting, I can't, I can't uh, catch up with them. But somebody was kind of making the point 
uh, about uh, the board not getting... Oh, there we go. Joe the Blue said the board haven't helped the situation by speaking in Sarri's defence, though. They could easily have got behind him and given a statement that covers him for the season, but they haven't. Well, that's the board, you see. They hide. They hide behind the manager and they scapegoat him too because he gets them out of the shit. That's the trouble. So I think poor old Sarri, in a sense, has been scapegoated for a lot of this and there's a lot of underlying issues why the supporters have had enough we're getting older maybe we're less tolerant than we used to be we're used to success so we're perhaps more entitled the ticket prices fuck us off the rescheduling of matches the whole way modern football's going um, <clears throat> you know being called Yadar every five minutes by little virgins on Twitter you name it there's a million reasons to be pissed off with football actually and I'm afraid what's happened is it's all being articulated and directed at Sarri who just happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time um and as I said, I'm not trying to mitigate him or forgive him. I think he's made many mistakes. I, I really don't think he gets the Premier League. I think he's incredibly stubborn, willful and intransigent. Proper Italian manager. And to be fair, sometimes being intransigent and it's my way or the highway is a good managerial trait. Nobody ever argued about Ferguson being like that or Brian Clough, you know, or Bill Shankly. It, you know, it, it, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think just this whole... You know, he's just landed at the wrong place at the wrong time, and I think he's getting it because of that. Uh, I'm going to say something as well. Sorry, just to finish on the point. I saw a great uh, tweet by Ollie Glanville yesterday, uh, because the other thing I think doesn't endear him to the supporters is that, you know, he he just has, has the air of a man at the moment who just doesn't give a fuck, actually, about what he's doing, how he's doing it, or what we think. And uh, we have this delusion as supporters that we're important and that it matters what we think and what we say. And, and I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint everybody, but it really doesn't. The club don't care, and the, certainly the managers don't. And, of course, when we get a sense of that, it makes us angry. That's my final point. Now, having moaned like stink for an hour and 12 minutes, uh, and I, I'm aware of people saying that they don't like us when we're negative and we moan, I, I, can't, I have to apologise. I can't help it. If, if We only call what we see, you know, and we try and be honest about it, and I try and be open, you know, kind of balanced too on occasion... Um, I am going to try now, you see, because it can't be all bad, surely. And, uh, you know, there was, there, you know, Liam, Liam pointed this out and, and we actually made a point on the show the other week that uh, whenever Chelsea go a goal down at the moment, it looks like that's it. You know, we just can't come back. And I made the point that the players look like uh, they, they've just completely lose belief in, in Sarri and the system and just don't believe they can get back in the game and basically disappear, fold, check out, call it what you will. But Liam made a point yesterday. He said that Chelsea had not come from behind to win a Premier League game, as I said in the intro, since beating Cardiff in September. So in a sense, that the fact they managed to come from behind and win a game when they had been playing absolutely shit, I would say points to the fact that their mentality is not completely gone yet. And, and here's the thing. We're, we are one point behind United and Spurs, and we're level with Arsenal. I mean, I've got no idea what's happening in their game at the moment, but if they lose, then we're, we're, we're still level with them. So, you know, we could still make the top four, and we could still make the Europa Cup, of course. But the, the thing is, Joe, does anyone, do, do any of us actually believe that we will? Because I, I just don't see that belief from the supporters at the moment. Um... I, I think our, our best chance this season is is in the Europa League, and I, I think, you know, a, a point I made on on here a little while ago was that the the style of football, or at least the the team that we're playing in Europa League, and that style of football, seems to be a lot more conducive to us winning than than that style in the Premier League. And yes, you know, we are one point off of, of potentially being in the top four, but you know, we have I think we've got Liverpool to play, and, and is it United as well? I can't. I, yeah, I know we've got two. Yeah two tricky games and 
sure, you know, you win those and then you, you'd be disappointed to not actually uh, finish in the top four. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm reluctant to, to say, given the, the performance against Cardiff, I mean, just given, let's say, our, our form in 2019, there's not really, for me, a precedent for, for me to be confident, at least in the Premier League, that we are going to go on some sort of run that we haven't been on for a while and start picking up points and pushing ahead of, of Arsenal and, and Tottenham and, and potentially Manchester United as well. You know, you know that West Ham will play much, much better than they have against us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, they, they, it's they near the World Cup. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, to me, it feels like it's, it's you know, it's Europa League or bust. Um, and, you know, we got, we got a pretty decent draw. I mean, probably the best draw possible um, that we could, we could get at this stage in that tournament. You know, there are still some decent teams left in that competition. Um, but I, I, I kind of feel that if... If you were going to throw your eggs in one basket, I would throw them into the Europa League. You know, it's it's a knockout competition. You know, I, I feel that that level of team that we're playing against is is something that we we should be able to, to manage over the course of two legs in a final. Um, I just I just feel that, that the Premier League sort of the momentum is it's not really with us at this point, and, and maybe Tottenham are, are falling away, and, and maybe other teams are stumbling. And depending on what Arsenal do today, it, it could all kind of change at the end of the podcast, but. My confidence is more in Europe than it is in the Premier League at this point in time. I mean, in a sense, you only have to win five games to win the Europa League, whereas you've got to win eight uh, in the Premier League yeah. and uh, arguably against tougher sides. Um, I mean, the thing is, Jonathan, the thing that occurs to me, mate, is that, you know, even if even if we get rid of Sarri now at the end of the season, there's, there's, a, there's a bigger stench around the club at the moment than there would be from the lingering stench of a man who eats cigarettes and smokes like a chimney in there. <laughs> That's the trouble. Well, all the chickens are coming home to roost, aren't they? Really? Yeah, they are. Exactly. It, it's inevitable that all everybody's frustrations over the lack of, uh, of um, uh, football, what you call him, DOF, um, the director of football, the fact that the youth aren't being played. Uh, you know, if we were... If we were playing decent football and finishing and, and, and challenging for the title, there wouldn't be any of this at all. The expectation is that's the standard that we need to achieve. And I completely sympathise with everybody who, who despairs, despairs of it. And, uh, and I've, um, it's taken me this long to completely come round just because I kept hoping that somehow he would, he would make the team uh, into this similar creation to Napoli but with their own strength and I don't think he's going to ever manage that at all so but I have to say I think we we better be careful about what we wish for because um if we do end up with um uh, with the transfer ban and having to use uh, the youth we we need to get the correct manager to deal with that um but as you say that uh, with the club might just carry on with him in which case we'll have next year well, transfer ban and he'll be he'll still be there well let, let's park that to right at the end I didn't want to give people the bad news that early Jonathan but <laughs> I mean you know I, I, again Dom Fifield has excelled himself Joe will love this because I know he read the article but I think what Dom said here was was just again he nailed it uh, they still have, Chelsea still have two potential routes open to them into each next year's Champions League. Most clubs would crave a campaign that might yield such a reward, and yet afternoons like this expose it all as a deception. And I think you know, you know, he says the head coach insisted he would depart really very happy, but in truth his tenure suffered serious damage in South Wales. Well, we shall see. But I think it was wide words from Dom. I mean, what I would say, you know, I mean, Paul PC or, or Paul Crowder on, on Mixler 
who's who's like on one tonight. He's been drinking far too much of uh, Californian Java coffee today, I think. Love him as I do. Um, effort and desire, he's just written. I think that's what he's talking about. He's talking about himself there. But, um, you know, we felt we finished a long way behind Man City last year, about 30-odd points. And I know, I know Conte chucked it in. And there are all sorts of reasons for that. But I think that the, the, the harsh new reality that, that Chelsea live in now, uh, I think the league has very much... Forget Leicester, which was an outlier. Forget even Chelsea under Mourinho and Conte, which was remarkable uh, combination of, of management and, and players all getting in sync at the right time. But the reality in the Premier League now, which has fundamentally changed since we blew it apart with the arrival of City and the continuing riches of Man United and the uh, the Fenway group's desire to do a, a Boston and make Liverpool win something significant and put a lot of money into boot, is that I think in reality you finish where you, you know, depending on how much money you spend. I mean, you could argue that it's always been like that. But we are, we are I think, now outside the top four in terms of the amount of money we have and are prepared to spend. Uh, so, you know, we are, unless we suddenly spend a lot more money, difficult we've got a transfer ban, difficult if the club are unwilling to spend money, and they've certainly been spending less pro rata since 2013 than they did in the first few years of uh, Roman's tenure. And I know we spent big on people like Kepper, but actually, you know, fundamentally, they're funded out of player sales. We're making profit as a club because we're selling players. We are not spending anything like the money at the same rate that we were for the first 10 years of Roman being here. So the reality is, is that unless something changes in that level, we are always going to be struggling, I think, to make top four unless we punch above our weight, which is, I hate to say this and even mention it, but whatever you think of Spurs and the hilarious putting the pressure on, Spurs as a club, I think, are about the sixth biggest spenders and they consistently under Pochettino have punched above their weight because of that. So we now need to be a club. We don't, we don't need to be. I think this is where we are. In order for us to have the same kind of success that we have all enjoyed over the last 10, 15 years, we'll now have to punch above its weight because it cannot and will not spend the kind of money that you, you need to spend to compete with United, Liverpool and City, certainly City, and dare I say it, even Arsenal. And the worry is, of course, is that Spurs might you know, be in a position quicker than Arsenal were, were uh, when they had to, you know, when they built the stadium and, and didn't do anything for years because they were still paying for it. But with 60,000 spectators going into that stadium, it, it could turn the tables there too. So they are, there are worrying times that go way beyond whether we think Sarri can cut it or not. Um, anyway, to kind of let's draw this part to a conclusion, um, it is a bit miserable. I've got to be honest, I hate being this negative, but I, I mean, I haven't wanted a season to end this quickly since we had Rafa in 2013 and I, and I, and I just really had had enough from about February but I, I really do think we need a, um, a reboot basically a factory reset as Marco calls it but you know I would actually settle for a proper clear out uh, and get a manager in who gets the club whatever that means uh, but I mean you know Oli Szolskjaer's arrival at Man United galvanised the support because he got the club so it is important the manager needs to get the PL, uh, the Premier League. They need to be passionate about passionate about the club, and I think be prepared to be flexible tactically, and and play to the opposition, and not wedded to one system and an ideology. Promote the youth, which we might have to do if we have a transfer ban anyway, but actually build something, 
you know, and I I would accept, and I know this sounds nuts, and Jonathan will laugh me out of the podcast in about a minute when I've said it, but I would actually accept if we could have that, if we could just like, okay, reassess, figure out who and where we are right now, and say, okay, if we can do it this way, if we can really try and do it a different way, I would accept not getting to the top four. I would accept a few years being mid-table <gasps> if, if, if it meant, you know, that there was some development and progress and that some joy came back to following the club and some passion because the reality is is that this season has and, and the back and don't forget this is coming on the back end of the mehness of Conte from January last year but the football's so dour and stifling mind-numbing and and you know you just you, I just want something different you know I it's not about you know attractive uh, FIFA type football for me as long as it's got passion and desire and energy and we win, you know, that's that's what I want. It's 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 a complicated argument, I know, and I've tried to reduce it down into a you know, a very small segment, but that's kind of where I am, JK. Is that making any sense? Yeah, yeah, I completely understand. I think I think you're deluded. Um <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. Exactly the answer I wanted. <laughs> but you, the trouble is I'm a dreamer, mate. They've got the business plan, haven't they, Chief? <coughs> there's the business plan it doesn't work but it ain't going to work mate it won't work with the world will it if it uh, if we finish it won't work no no hang on what i would say and what i would say is that their business plan will work in terms of uh generating revenue for the club because they've propelled oh, yeah. it they're not a football club they're not a football club they're a global brand yeah. and they have a name so people will always buy their shit but it won't work on the pitch that's my point no no but but if it doesn't work on the pitch then uh well, no, that won't matter. Look at Liverpool. Liverpool didn't haven't won the Premier League since the Premier League started, right? They've got good, it hasn't affected their status true, as a big club true, but or their revenue. Yeah, but that was based also on their their previous success, as you would do. Yeah, well, as as will ours be. As will ours be. We've won so much in fifteen years. We're embedded into people's psyche. Yeah, yeah, but I I wonder whether the uh, this fits the uh, the tourist mode as well, isn't it? There's this theory, isn't there, that they're they're trying to get most of the fans at the bridge to be uh, uh, those who come two or three times a season and spend masses in the shop. So uh, um, they're catering for them to a great extent, which of course is appalling. But that that may be that may be part of it. But they need success. So um, yes, if you can, you can't guarantee, can you, that you have two years mid-table that it's going to work? It might be that you end up, you know, doing a Charlton, which is you. You uh, you accept that you're mid table, and then it get or even the Rangers, and you change them. I don't I don't see that happening. Around. No, I I wouldn't because there's too much. But I, c- I can see us being mid table. I can. Yeah, it's well, no, not. It, we're not. Indeed, you know. In, I, so can I, completely. I mean, I think you know that was the the answer uh, uh, the other day to people writing. Uh, this is my selection for next year, and it's it's all youth and no no uh, experience in it at all. Where do you think we'll finish? You know, well, eighteenth. Um, uh, you know that's my response. It needs to. You need to have a mixture. And I'm. I'm. You know the way things are going. We really must get a uh, get a, uh, a. The way the club is at the moment, he has to start. Well, he won't. We won't this season, will he? Whoever comes in, if somebody comes in, has to start playing low knees, and they have to. Uh, um, the decision will be made when they come back for next season. Obviously, of which there are there are many who are performing, you know, terrifically. Um, so, uh, you know, let's let's. And if we then end up at the end of the trouble, is, would would that be sustainable, Chidge? If we then finished mid-table with lots of those youth players, would this same fickle support base 
accept this or would they say this isn't <laughs> it's a very good question good I don't know. Let's ask Joe. Joe's the expert on uh, instant karma reactions on social media. <laughs> what do you think, mate? Uh, I mean, it's it's a tough question. I mean, the thing is, if you if you take a sensible approach to to bringing through academy players and loan players, and by that I mean, you know, people always look at the the, the top end of this, which is you know, getting maybe it's Loftus Cheek potentially becomes a starter, but. The, the competitive advantage that Chelsea have or Chelsea need is to start producing squad players because I don't know if you saw uh, Alex from, from Bleacher Reports, he did he, yeah. some really interesting tweets today, but if you look at the amount of money we've spent on squad players over the course of the you know the past couple of years, the, the investment in squad level players who barely play and really are not that important is astronomical. Yeah, and if ridiculous. you can say, say, say you develop someone who is like a Jesse Lingard type talent, someone who completely gets the club, is loved by the supporters, comes through, can play 20, 25 games a season. You know, it's not going to be a, a first-choice player, but does does the role of a Drinkwater or a Zappacosta or a Palmieri. That means you don't have to go and spend £60 million on fullbacks or, you know, £40 million on a midfielder. And that's when you can start investing properly into the team again because it only takes two or three of these to come in. And that's about £70, £80 million in fees that we're not spending. That alone goes and buys a top player. Yes. So, I mean, that that's, you know, it doesn't have to be this kind of all or nothing. Of I mean, you know, personally, even probably one of the biggest youth sort of aficionados and youth advocates, I'm not one who's going to put, you know, 18 kind of, or a team full of under 18s out just for the sake of it. But the whole point of this is, you know, you, you're lucky if you get a Hudson Adore or Loftus-Cheek type talent come through, but you're, you're, you're dying for someone like maybe Chalaba who can be a squad player and play a couple of roles, Nathan Ake, some of these players that we've sold and been been happy to sell. But it means that we don't have to go out and buy a left back. We might not have to go out and buy another centre back or a midfielder. They don't have to be top top tier talent. I mean, I'm looking at, you know, I don't think Lingard is an absolutely exceptional player. But, but the fact that, that United don't have to go and buy a winger, an attacking midfielder, a midfielder, etc., is that that's that's the benefit. And if you can start bringing that through, maybe one, one, two, three every couple of seasons, then you know that money that, that we're spending has to obviously be spent better. But you can start going for better players. So. You know, for me, it's a route to being back to back to being a top team. It's bringing through some of these kids to be squad players. And okay, if they're not great, sell them when they're 23, 24. Then you make your money with them and bring bring through some others. Um, but we shouldn't be buying squad players. We should be buying top tier, either top top young players um, or, or top talent. Like we went out and bought Costa. You know, the, going and identifying a weakness in the team and going and spending the money yeah. to solve the problem. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure in terms of what the reaction will be on social media. I mean, again. You know, you've, you've got a, a very, very divisive kind of feel on social media at the moment. Very pro Sari, very against Sari. People in the middle. It's very black and white, isn't it? There's no nuances uh, no, there, which is the trouble with social media, yeah, isn't it? Everything is, is binary. It has to be, you know, and it's not even that. I mean, the, the extremes of the opinions are so far apart. And, you know, there's, there's yeah. no kind of, as you say, no room for nuance or shade. But I think, I think people would accept us not buying. Danny Drinkwaters, not buying Palmieri's, not buying Zappacrosses, and, and maybe trying to blood Olerainers, sort of maybe keeping people like Shalaba around. This isn't to suggest that they all be, go and become Chelsea superstars, but it's just so that we don't have to keep buying these average players just for the, you know, just for them to be in the squad. I think people would accept that if, if you know, that money was then being used to go and get like a Mauro Riccardi or, or a, a really top, top player to, to sort of supplement the squad. Because... That, that's, I mean, that, that's got to be our game plan. You know, everyone's got a bigger stadium than, than us now. They're going to be earning more money per matches. You know, we're, we're way behind in terms of the, the, you know, the number of people attending games now per season compared to our competitors. 
we've got to use our advantage. And at the moment, that's still our academy. We still have the best academy in the country. And that can be a route to not spend elsewhere to spend on top players. That's hopefully hopefully a way forward. Absolutely right, mate. And uh, I know you've written a blog on this. I wrote a blog making that exact same point and actually said it on the podcast about, I don't know, six weeks ago or something. It's exactly the way forward. I totally, totally agree. Uh, Right. I'm about to keel over because we've spent over an hour on that part. You see, and actually, I'm going to change the name of the fan cast in honour of what Joe and I were just saying. We're going to make it the Chelsea fan cast, a non-binary uh, <laughs> podcast. That's what we're going to be called. So we're going to sort out our gender identity in terms of the podcast. Right. Now, part three, uh, after Jonathan's had a pee, no doubt, uh, we're going to have a we're having a quick look ahead to Wednesday's match against Brighton and uh, get into the old parish notices and loads of emails. I hope we have time to read them all tonight because we've waffled on for a long time, but with a bit of luck, we will. See you in a sec. Chidge. JK, in all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. (laughs) It's all too much. (laughs) I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Ah, but yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK, and best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you, thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy, I could cry. (laughs) Where do I sign up, Ginge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18+, plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com. Right, welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast. Part three is upon us, and it's a bit of a, a smorgasbord this part, and we have waffled on for so long in the first two parts. I mean, that second part was an absolute stonker so I'm not going to waste any more time waffling on longer than I have to let's quickly get into uh, Chelsea versus Brighton which is on Wednesday Uh, this is of course the rear aim fixture and you know let me let me scupper the headlines for you now I suspect there may well be a lot of empty seats on Wednesday but I'm telling you now it's not because we can't stand Sarri and want him out it's because the match was rearranged at late notice I for example I can't go because I work in Southampton on a Wednesday and I and I actually you know what I'll be honest with you I forgot that we were playing 
until until somebody told me on Friday and it was too late for me to cancel the stuff that I've got on Wednesday and I just can't get there in time so there will be a plenty of people like me as well so you know the, the these are what the writers in the mail online won't tell you all right now uh, in terms of the game itself I wonder Jonathan um, will it be more of the same I mean there's a sense that we keep expecting different outcomes we have to talk about it twice a week but they don't really occur I think we're going that's the definition of madness isn't it well I reckon that um uh, if he plays, um, I don't think he will start Hudson um, or uh, Cheek, but he will start Kante. He might start Giroud because even you know we can all, even he can see that Iguain is uh, all over the place, and he should start Emerson just because we didn't talk but about won't. it. But Alonso was absolutely Awful. dreadful. Honestly. Good assist for the goal, though, has well, to be said. Oh, once again, you know when they're all attacking, and it, it, you suddenly think, oh, hang on, you've gone up a. A gear completely. Yes, absolutely agree. But before that, as as all of them, yeah, completely, awful. completely awful. But um, uh, I think we'll then be in a position where we'll play, we'll press them, we'll play very well in the first half, uh, unless they go for it. But I think that I, I think Brighton will then be, um, they won't be able to, to deal with it. And I think we'll win easily on Wednesday, personally, um, which will really confuse matters completely. Um, you said that on Friday, though. No, I didn't. I said it would be either 5-0 or 2-1, didn't I? I was the closest. I said 3-1. Well, it would, it would have been 3-1 if Barkley hadn't blazed over from yeah. you know, four feet away. Once again, Barkley, the bizarre, go on about, the bizarreness of playing brilliantly for England and then expressing himself and then being in such a straitjacket for Chelsea. No, but I, yeah. I, it's just a question of whether how Brighton set up as well. If Brighton attempt to get in our faces again, it, it might be the same as we saw at the weekend, um, because we mm-hmm. we don't deal very well with teams coming at us hard from the beginning. But once again, um, uh, they'll knacker themselves, and we might then come back into it in the second half. I it's it so depends on who he picks, because yeah. Higuain is so out, out of the picture, and if Kante plays, it's a completely different setup, and they will they will press well. So I foresee uh, a big press, and if we score early. It'll be the same thing. We'll win easily. If we don't score in the first half, they're likely to win with just one goal or it being 1-1 or something. That's my view. Yeah. So. Well, that, that of course, is the is the big concern. How do we bloody score goals uh, with Higuain starting and just like not looking like it at all? I mean, Joe, what occurs to me is I, I, I kind of agree. I just think he's not going to pick Hudson and Doyle or start him out of stubbornness. But... Uh, if if uh, Loftus Chip, well, having said that, actually, I think Pedro picked up an injury, so he might be a doubt. But Hazard will start, so it'll be Hazard and William, no doubt. Um, so Hudson and Doyle might get on, but I mean, g- given Loftus Cheek's back condition, it just makes it difficult to see him starting. Kante will be back in for sure, but I think if he was really serious about changing things, I think he should start Giroud and Emerson. But I just don't see him doing it, mate. I think it's a really interesting one because I think when you look at France's success in the World Cup, I mean, it's not based around them having the most exceptional number nine on the planet. It's about having a player who who brings in the rest of the team who actually enables all the attacking players to flourish and and is kind of like a foil and and, and a reference point for the team. And I think actually, you know, we can look at the Europa League level of, of opposition as well, but... I think that we we just look so much more fluid when Giroud is is the number nine. I, I'm I'm not remotely on board, on board the Higuarin train. I wasn't particularly happy with us uh, getting him in on loan in the first place. It just felt like a move of desperation. Um, but I agree. 
I think Giroud, you know, deserves to start on, on merit here. You know, he he had a, a a massive impact, I think, when he came on at the weekend. It, all of a sudden, we, we looked like we could pose some problems with crosses. And in general, he, he kept the ball, retained possession, started bringing people into play. You know, I think he's he's just the better option at this point in time. And Emerson as well. You know, I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to bag on Alonso, but I think he was he was pretty horrible at the weekend. Um, he's, he doesn't look like he's... he's He's a natural left back, or that he's he's really going to improve there. So I mean that that's also a position of concern. And the other one, really, which I, th- I think probably isn't here, is I would I would give Rudiger a rest. I think you know he he for me has been out of sorts for a little while, but I think the performance on uh, against Cardiff was was at times insane. It lo- it looked like he was being controlled by a three year old on on PlayStation to borrow sort of Gary Neville's kind of old old critique about about David Luiz. And I think maybe he. You know he's played an awful lot of football. He, he he maybe he just needs a little bit of time on on the substitutes bench just to just to kind of settle down again. So I would maybe look at giving Christensen a go with with Louise. Um, I'd love to see Hudson Odoi play back, but like you said, you know the likelihood of that happening seems quite low. Although sorry did say that he would probably play him or he would start a couple of games because you know we've got eight games coming up or something like that. But whether it's in the Premier League, I'm not sure. But I'd love to see him start. Um, Kante, yeah, I, I agree with Jonathan, just brings an entirely different dynamic to the team. Um, and maybe maybe this is the game you, you start Ruben, give him uh, give him 60 minutes and then and just sort of see where it goes. But yeah, um, you know, if, if we pick the same team, I think it's going to be a similar performance to what we're used to seeing. You know, if, if he does change it up, then, then I would be slightly more, more optimistic. But at this point in the season, it, it's just about the results, isn't it? So I'm, I'm hopeful of just a 1-0. Well, indeed, me too. I mean, what I would say, you know, Jonathan, this is one of the things that grinds my gears, actually, about Sarri, is that he, he seems to, in, you know, be so stubborn about, uh, you know, keeping players in his little coterie of what he calls the first team, in spite of the evidence that we see that they're they're really not in very good form. I mean, you know, there as my old saying from the fan cast in the early days, there are people yet to be discovered in the Amazon rainforest who know that Alonso can't play left-back and is in shit form. And yet Sarri still picks him. Higuain, again, you know, instead of Giroud, makes no sense. So there's a lot of that going on that really annoys me. And I also think he's got man management issues. And I think, you know, it's just, in a sense, it's, it's you know, that he's a, he's a weird character because on the one hand, I think you've got this guy who's very at ease with himself, comfortable in his own skin, and actually, you know, I, I get the sense that he's he's quite collaborative in some senses in terms of his management style. But on the other on, on on the other hand, I think he can just be, you know, quite dismissive. Well, I'm in my sixties. This is how I am. This is what I think. You can all fuck off, you know. And I think his attitude to Hudson Odoi was quite revealing in that. So you well, know, his stub his stubbornness is his downfall. I think they haven't downed tools though, have they? Which is what they appeared to do under Mourinho. They haven't. Yeah, I agree with that. They, they they've just been incapable of understanding what they're supposed to do so mm. whether it is in fact the reality is he is a quite decent man manager and that he speaks to them all and says guys this is what i want to be doing and perhaps he then says he said to them look these are the 13 players i want to try and work with and so there's a kind of acceptance in it or non-acceptance but uh, adoy certainly looked uh, uh, fed up didn't he the look that he kept giving sarry and it must be he must be going through uh, you know, you're near 18 and, and you think, I've, I've just played for England and I'm not being selected for my club side. It's just, it must be awful for him. Well, I, I do think, you know, I'm not trying to dig him out here, but I think that hudson Adoy's reaction was the reaction I would expect from an 18-year-old. Indeed, indeed. You know, bordering on, on, on petulant, but he's 18. 
for Christ's sake. He's a young kid. He's got the most unbelievable... I mean, you know, the w- if you look at the way that he plays, this kid has got the most unbelievable belief in himself and confidence in himself. So for him, it's probably failure to compute that I am not getting a game. And also being 18, there's that kind of, you know, I deserve to. I've proved myself. Why am I not starting? So, I mean, I'm not trying to dig him out by that. I could kind of understand that. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's the right attitude, but I can understand that. Um, one, one thing on yeah, Joe, Joe, go for yeah. Um, so a couple of, of agent friends that I know, and I think this is, I just want to defend him a little bit here because he, from four, five, six people that I know, and, and even speaking to, to some people at Chelsea, he is the most down-to-earth, nice, ordinary person at, at the club. There's there's no sense of attitude or entitlement with him at all. I think he is just, he's desperate to play for Chelsea. And it yeah. has been since he was eight. And I think sometimes people take some of the facial expressions and some of the body language as, yeah. as, as the wrong way. I mean, he, he is, uh, you know, he's, he literally is Michael Essien's like best friend. You know, he's been a sort of Chelsea fanatic since he was a kid. And I think it's, it's a desperation to play for the club. And I want that in players. You know, I want, I want people to play for us. Um, and I, I don't want people to get the wrong impression of him, you know, because, I mean, it was quite funny, the video of, his, of, of the facial reaction that he did uh, during the game. But I think it, it's born out of frustration because he... he wants yeah, but Joe, to... I, Joe I, don't, I, don't, I don't have a problem yeah. with that at all. I mean, I, I, I'm very much of the belief that, you know, if you get subbed on a, in a game... You, you don't go off the pitch grinning and smiling. You kick yeah. the shit out of the nearest water bottle, <laughs> stamp around and look yeah. really utterly fucked off. If you if, if I'm your manager and you're happy about being about being subbed, I, I, I'm gonna have a serious problem with you. If you come off thinking I'm the biggest wanker that walked the earth, I'm gonna go, Good. That's the attitude I wanna see. Yeah. So I, I don't have a problem with his facial expressions. I was just really saying you know he's a, he's a, he's 18 yeah, you know, yeah, and he has this huge belief in how good he is you know and he's just played for england he's suddenly been propelled into the limelight people are seeing how good he is and he's probably thinking well what do i have to do yeah. you know, and i kind of get that on that basis that. though chid you'd never ever select pedro who seems to be uh, the happiest person to be sucked every day. <laughs> he, he, he runs off delighted he? delighted to delighted. come off yeah well you know it, you, but this is the thing and this is what i mean by man management issues you know you, you, you it's, it's i've managed a lot in in my rather long and uh, not very illustrious career but you know you you can't treat everybody the same you have to manage every individual on an individual basis you know everybody is different you have to get inside their head and figure out what motivates them and what demotivates them so you know if, if, for example, I thought, you know what, Pedro's just that kind of a guy, he's happy-go-lucky, but he tries his bollocks off when he's on that pitch, that's okay. You know, everybody's different. So I've just completely, completely had a vulture farce about what I've just said, because I am, if nothing else, an old hypocrite. So there you go. Um, listen, we're going to wrap this bit up. Um, you know, I think we're all... I, I, I mean, weirdly, Joe, I, I am quite confident that we'll win, even though it's, you know, we're, we've been so a, a bit mizzed tonight, you know. But I, we, the, the reality is, and I say this every flaming week, you know, against nearly every team in the Premier League, uh, we have better players and we are a better side than them. So we should win, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, this, this is a game that, regardless of, of form and anything that goes into it, we should be winning this game, Uh one, one or two nil, absolutely comfortably, and I, I think actually we probably will. So I mean, it, it's yeah, it, it's there for the taking. I think you know, hopefully positive team selection. If not, you know, bring on the subs; they'll rescue the game. But I do think we should win this. Mm. Well, for all of you going, um, you know, I, I I'm not going to be there, but I am not happy about it. I am not making a protest. I'm not boycotting it. I'm really pissed off that I can't go because I don't care how rubbish it is and how febrile the atmosphere is. 
I love to go and watch Chelsea play football, win, lose or draw. And I will miss my buddies in the Cock Tavern on Wednesday night having a Guinness or two with them. And I will miss my wonderful seat in Gate 17, a few yards down the road from where Joe used to sit. It's, it will not be the same by not being there. And worse than that, it's not even on the bloody telly. So there you go. So good luck to all those who are going. And, and give, them, give the team some support, for God's sake. They need it. Right, uh, on, uh, whilst I'm on, on my soapbox, I've got a few uh, parish notices to read out. Uh, Chelsea Supporters Trust, of course, as you all know, I'm quite involved with that. Um, so do join it. Uh, join it and get your voice heard by the club. It's free to join up to be a member. But if you want a badge... And you want to be able to vote and attend to be able to vote and attend. Well, vote in the elections, obviously, and attend the meetings. And it's five quid a year. Uh, you can sign up at ChelseaSupportersTrust.com. Uh, so you can do, in fact, exactly what I said: uh, vote in the elections and go to the meetings. Um, you can follow them on Twitter at Chelsea S Trust. It's ChelseaSupportersTrust.com to go and sign up. Now, as you may or may not know, we've been a bit lax on the old publicity front, so we need to get our act together and sort this out. But uh, we do have the annual survey out at the moment, which is massively important because, you know, the more people that fill that in, and you don't have to be a member to fill it in, by the way. This is now open to all Chelsea supporters. So the more people that fill it in, the, the bigger the voice we take to the club. And this is the point because we collate the results from the survey and it covers all the usual kind of stuff like safe standing, ticket prices, away allocations, kickoff times, fixture schedule changes, all the really key kind of uh, you know stuff that concerns us as supporters that are, you know over and above the football um and uh, we do we take that to the club so that, that, that then we can tell them this is this is what the supporters think basically um so it's very important that you fill it in if you can um and it's open until april the 22nd which is easter monday uh and as i said it's open to all chelsea supporters as well as trust members uh and uh and we do take it to the club and your your opinions do make a difference it gives some kind of validity and uh some weight to what we're saying so if you haven't completed it yet if you're a member you should have received at least two emails uh, saying please complete the survey if you're not obviously you won't have received an email but you can uh, check Chelsea Sports Trust out on Twitter or Facebook it'll be up there but if not the link for the survey for anybody to f- uh, fill in is www.surveymonkey.co.uk forward slash r forward slash little r forward slash cst caps underscore survey 19 so go and do it and uh, I will be making sure we get some publicity out in things like Twitter and Facebook and get a few of the big heavy hitting social media accounts uh to uh, to help us out with that right uh patreon as if you don't know already is um it's kind of a little band of brothers and sisters really um uh, if you if you like what we do uh and if you support what we do then you can contribute a little bit of money every month uh, to kind of keep us rolling along and there's a, a what they call a patreon website or patreon site there's a chelsea fancast patreon site and you become a patron really uh by uh you know subscribing donating a little bit each month whatever you want there's no pressure i don't you know you either do or you don't no skin off my nose it's lovely if you do but i'm not going to be upset if you don't uh and if you do that uh you can go to patreon.com forward slash chelsea fancast and do that and uh the other thing is, you know, there's a message board there. You can get hold of me quite easily, uh, get my attention, get an email read out on the show, that kind of thing. And we are thinking about doing a some sort of a kind of a WhatsApp group or a Patreon group so that we can kind of talk to each other during the matches. This is proving harder to do in reality than it was in my head when I came up with the idea. Uh, my feeling is that it probably works best if I'm either at home watching it on the TV 
or which would be ideal because I get a good internet signal, or if I'm at the game, which of course is untried and tested because, of course, I don't know how good the internet signal will be. But of course, recently on the away games, I've not been at home because I've been in this radio studio doing a radio show, and there is no way I can do it while I'm doing that. Trust me. Anyway, I'm working on it. Panic not. Uh, CPO, Chelsea pitch owners, uh, if you want to own a little bit of Chelsea, protect the future of the club, go and buy a share in the CPO, who of course own the freehold of Stamford Bridge and whose aim it is to ensure that Chelsea can keep playing football at Stamford Bridge forever. If you want to buy a share, email info at chelseapitchowners.com. Uh, follow them on Twitter at pitchowners. Do it. It's a very worthwhile thing. And finally, <clears throat> mentioned earlier on, I'm sure, uh, but uh, I pumped in my last article for CFC UK on Friday. Uh, so that means it'll probably be ready for the West Ham game. And you can get a, the next copy at the stall on a match day, uh, which is opposite Fulham Broadway Tube, or from any of the sellers in the Fulham uh, Road. Uh, and you can get it away as well. And if you want to subscribe to that, because you can't get it in person, you can always get it digitally by going to at, uh, cfcuk.net. Or if you're in the USA, just follow at cfcukusa and I'll tell you how to do that. Right, we've now got loads. I mean, part one of the emails, we've got loads of them. They're very long. Strap yourselves in. Jonathan and I might actually self-combust before we finish these, but we will do our best, won't we, JK? Have a go. <clears throat> Off you go, mate. Good or dire. Hello, all. Hope you're enjoying the international break. I say that without any hint of sarcasm. I, for one, am feeling relieved. This is a good time to pause, look around, gauge where we are, and see, see, see where we can go. So I thought, why not start with Brexit? I understand that as an Indian, I'm far removed from the consequences. Do bear with me, though. I'm not going to get into who was right and who was wrong. However, there's something that is irrefutable. It's that no one knew exactly what they signed up for. No one had any idea of the complexity of the whole procedure. Even the people who were supposed to be in charge had no clue on how to go through with it. It's like sitting in a driver's seat of a car without knowing how to drive. You don't know what to do, but are too proud to admit it. You think it's too late to back out. Thing is, though, if you go through with it, it's likely to end in an accident. You think it's too late to... Oh, no, I've done that bit. The most unfortunate part about Brexit is that the decision was made by the masses, who as a collective had the least amount of information. The masses were not fit to make a decision of this magnitude. I hope I've established it's not wise to make complicated decisions when you don't have sufficient information. I see something similar happening at Chelsea. I thought you might. No one in the management, including Abramovich, seems to know what to do with the club. The Champions League trophy was Abramovich's holy grail. We seem to have lost our way after that. Since then, we seem to have lost purpose and direction. It almost looks like they're suddenly discovering it's difficult to run a football club. One season, we get get a trophy-winning ex-manager who demands investment. Then we get another trophy winner with a history of pissing off his bosses and follow it up with a manager with no absolute record of trophies at all. It seems like Roman is revising his objectives every other season. While this is not new, it's bound to get tedious. I wonder if he's grown weary. Now, assuming Mm. the objectives have been set, reliable information is absolutely the most vital ingredient you can have to fulfil them. It can tip the balance in your favour. However, in many cases, even with all the information you can get, there is still uncertainty. Think Brexit. Therefore, I cannot fathom why the Chelsea establishment have sought to consistently reduce the presence of footballing people in decision-making roles. Where is the board getting their information from? Do they have any measure of its reliability? Whom do they call for due diligence? I dread the answer will be agents. Take the Callum Hudson-Odoi situation, for instance. In isolation, an 18-year-old does not deserve more than, say, 
€50,000 a week. However, as soon as another club is ready to pay 1.5 times the wages on offer, in addition to a £30 million transfer, <coughs> his notional value shoots through the roof. Notional value is usually all you have till a sale has been completed. It's as true in football as it is in the world of business. You need valuation every time you negotiate a transfer fee, a contract renewal, a commercial deal, even a bribe. Now, if you cannot judge footballers' ability, how can you project its, his contribution? If you cannot project his contribution, how can you carry out his valuation? Without a grip on valuation, it becomes a no-holds-barred negotiation. You push the other party to their limit and see how much blood you can drain in the process. Some might give in, others might quite simply walk away. It's risky, but the payoff is great when it works out. I suspect that's the way negotiations are done by Chelsea Football Club these days. It certainly explains our underwhelming transfer market performance of late. A lot of what's going on at Chelsea looks eerily similar to the May government. You have a group of decision makers who are constantly on the lookout for the path that causes the least pain, but find themselves in a, <coughs> in a dead end. Our path of least pain has been sack the manager. Why have we come to this? We had a board that consisted of Roman's close associates, executive with experience in managing football clubs in charge of administration, and people like Arneson and Emanalo in charge of scouting. That's all gone. Now it's a bit like a group of investment bankers running a coal mine. We have a CEO with no prior experience of managing a football club. That's not a slight on Marina Granovskaya's capability as a manager, but it definitely helps when a CEO can bring in learnings from a similar company. We've sacked or allowed foot footballing brains to leave, like the plethora of youth and assistant coaches, Arneson, Emanalo, etc. The way I see it, it's because there's been a change in Abramovich's strategy since the Champions League win. The lack of a clear objective post, the lack of a clear objective post Champions <coughs> League win, the lack of a clear objective post Champions League win, coupled with FFP kicking off, changed the club's strategy dramatically. Before 2012, we sacked managers for not winning the league. Since 2012, the minimum requirement dropped to qualifying for the Champions League. The club's objectives changed from winning silverware every season to improving the long-term health of the club. Purchasing young players with significant room for improvement, planning a new stadium, <coughs> investing in the academy and negotiating strong commercial deals are all steps in this direction. We actually did fairly well from a financial standpoint between 2012 and 2014. We profited from a lot of players we bought in this period. Was the attempt to improve the books a step towards the sale of the club? Lastly, we've struggled on the footballing side of things. We haven't bought a single young player whose stock has ridden, risen under us. Costa, Sesk, Pedro and Kante are all players who came with proven credentials. Morata and Bakayoko have been failures. We haven't had a decent transfer window since Emanalo left in 2017. The books still look all right. <clears throat> the books still look all right. From fans' perspective, though, these are the toughest years of Roman's reign. There's no sense of proportion in the transfer market. Fullbacks are being bought at 50 million. 80 million for a striker coming off a 25-goal season looks like a bargain. The biggest change is that teams like Liverpool, Tottenham, Atletico, Dortmund, etc. have been able to keep hold of their players for longer than they used to. They've gained the ability to retain talent by paying them high wages. And the fact we have an ageing team and an impending transfer ban, it honestly looks dreadful. We're about to complete two consecutive seasons without being anywhere in the reckoning for the league title. Consider this. What if we don't make it to the Champions League next season and Hazard is sold 
and we're hit with the transfer ban. It doesn't surprise me that rumours of Roman wanting to sell are surfacing. New age companies are sold when their stock is on the rise. Football clubs are quite the opposite. They're typically sold when their financial value drops. That's when the buyer is able to drive a bargain. The problem for Roman is the club is too big to fail, too expensive to run, but too overvalued to be sold. It's a conundrum that he cannot escape. He, if neither sells the club, neither sells the club nor invests disproportionate sums of money, the club will go on a downward spiral and he will have to sell it at a significant loss, not to mention completely ruin his legacy. I've no doubt that the club's value has been grossly boosted by the army of young players. I'm fairly certain most of them are overvalued. So it's unlikely that Roman will get the money he expects anytime soon. It's a proverbial stalemate across the board. We have a manager who does not have the players he needs. We have an army of players who can neither be sold nor be promoted to the first team. We have an academy that is increasingly looking less of a pipeline and more of an independent revenue stream. We have an absentee owner. We have a legion of disgruntled match-going fans. And we have an impending transfer ban. So the question is, where do we go from here? <clears throat> Unlike Brexit, we do not have a March 31st deadline. Neither do we have an option of tearing up a referendum and going back to how things were. The football landscape has changed and will keep changing. I believe the first step is to clear dead weight. Sell the overage players who are not fit to be in the first team squad. It doesn't matter if they're on loan or in the fringes. There should be no player over the age of 23 out on loan. He should either be in the first team squad or sold. Having less players on the road will mean needing lesser resources to manage. It will help the decision makers to assess the situation more accurately. The second step is to sell players over the age of 30 without leadership abilities. Experienced players must help the coach in management. It's a bad sign if the manager has to go out of his way to keep the senior players happy. The third step is to form a transfer committee, which includes a couple of... The third step is to form a transfer committee, which includes a couple of ex-Chelsea players, the current Chelsea manager, the academy head, scouting department head and the reserve team coach, in addition to representatives of the board. The first team manager will have his requirements and the board will have a budget. The question is how to best fit the first team needs within the allocated budget. Sorry, with the allocated budget. Isn't it best to have a task force of multiple stakeholders to sit together and brainstorm? Maybe there's a young player in the reserves or a recent graduate from the academy that the first team manager hasn't looked into. <laughs> Equally, involving the academy manager will keep him, keep him abreast to the first team needs. Fourth step is to reconnect with ex-Chelsea players. We need to tap into the brand value of recent legends like Drogba and Czech. A phone call from Drogba is more likely to convince a young talent than a PowerPoint presentation by an executive. You know Joe Cole was instrumental in convincing Hazard. Imagine Ballack calling a young German talent on Chelsea's behalf. We need advocates. Fifth is to bring about some measure of synergy between all facets of the football. Namely, the board, the manager and the players. It seems like each of them is attempting to take the club in different directions. This is why you need footballing brains in the board. And the final step is to communicate the objectives loud and clear. It's fine if we're going into austerity for a couple of years at the cost of silverware. Communicate that to the fans. Fans are more loyal than you give them credit for. The frustration grows when problems are uncovered after the time to solve them has elapsed. I'd rather our football club does not go that way. 
much like Brexit, it's not only about who's right and who is wrong. It's about being cognizant of your capabilities and going in a direction that befits the said capabilities. Running a mammoth organization is like captaining a cruise ship. You may allow for course correct corrections, but it's absurd to make a sharp <clears throat> turn. Sharp turns will end up with furniture flying around, guests vomiting and staff panicking. It's hardly worth it unless you're about to hit an iceberg head on. Coming back to football, as things stand, personally, I'm not fussed about where we are in the table. For now, all I want to see is 11 players on the pitch playing with pride, commitment and energy and fans chanting their hearts out for 90 minutes. That would be a good start. Up the Chels. Best regards, Vinod. P.S. I do have a question you could address when you discuss youth. It stems from my memory of Callas playing a fantastic game against Liverpool led by Suarez. He was never really given a proper run and was later sent out on loan. I wonder if players stagnate when they're on loan. A lot of players look further from the first team than closer to it. Are we degrading the young players' potential by sending them out on loans? Would they be better off closer to home, playing in the reserves or on the fringes of the first team? Bloody hell, mate. Well done. Jesus, that was an epic Vinod. Uh, can I just say that the campaign to get uh, Vinod as the next chief executive or chairman at Chelsea FC uh, is starts right here and now. I mean, if I think if Vinod was running the club, mate, we'd be in a much better position. Quite astonishing. Vinod, you're far too clever for your own good, mate. And that was that was an epic email. My brain hurts. Uh, thankfully, we've got Joe uh, Joe Tweeds in the house to uh, answer your question about. Well, I mean, Callas, of course, last seen uh, uh, providing the uh, the final touch to uh, Callum Hudson Odoi's assist for uh, England against Czechos, the Czech Republic the other week. But, um, yeah, he did have a good game against Liverpool, didn't he? I mean, Joe, I think Vinod's question is, is would it be better to keep some of these players, uh, you know, in the squad learning rather than sending them out to shit teams on loan? And I know you know a lot about this. Yeah, I mean, this I could talk about this for an hour, so I'll, I'll try and keep it fairly short. But the, the biggest question in, in youth development is, is how do you convert a... Uh, an excellent academy product at 18 to a, a decent professional footballer at 21, 22. And it's that gap between the development squad and, and men's football, which is is almost impossible to get a consensus. And this is from speaking to coaches, from people at Chelsea, from people at other academies and scouts and whatever. There's no real kind of set way of doing this. I think that's also part of the problem. I think in, in Chelsea's case, we have been very bad at identifying clubs that fit our young players. Now, earlier in the season, Dijon Sterling was, was getting a bit of a torrid time at Coventry and he actually came out and said, you know, I'm, I'm not used to playing without the ball. And I think that's, that's one of the, the things that people don't understand is that Chelsea's academy is so dominant. They're such an aggressive attacking side that if you drop them into a team like Coventry, who are going to be defending a lot, it, it's a shock to the system. So in most cases, we're sending them to teams who maybe don't fit them from a stylistic standpoint and they have to kind of adapt and grow to that and how they react and develop is, is, is different. So you may have a really, really top-class player who's been dropped into a side. You know, he, he's used to getting 10, you know, let's say 50, 60, 70 touches of the ball a game and that's going down to 10, 20 because he's, all, he, all his coach wants him to do is ping balls into the channel or, you know, the ball's going over his head. That then reflects on the player and we go, oh, maybe he's not that good. He's not having a big impact without really analysing the, the situation he's in. I think that the second thing is, is you know, looking at looking at how Loftus-Cheek was treated from 17 to 20 at Chelsea, I think he, he averaged about four games a season, which is, is also not going to develop you as a player. So there, there are rights and wrongs with, with keeping players around. I mean, you look at Hudson-Odoi this season, 
You know, I think he he probably deserved to play more. Maybe he's an exceptional case because he's an exceptional talent. Um, but we do seem to have, uh, let's say, cracked some of the, the loan destinations. I think Reese James is having an absolutely exceptional campaign, just got voted into the championship team of the season at 18. You know, his first kind of year of adult football. Mason Mount has been has been completely uh, you know, sort of central to what Derby were doing. You know, and when he wasn't there, you could you could see Derby drop off and, and the real influence that he had. So I'm hopeful now that we're we're finding better loan destinations for our players. And they seem to be kind of hitting the ground running a bit more. Um, but but it, there's no exact science of this. And, and to his point about Callas, I thought you know I remember that game well. Callas was exceptional. Um, I actually felt he he probably deserved um, to, to sort of stick around because he was also at that time at least capable of playing fullback and also dropping into midfield. So another one of these multifunctional players that could could have been squad cover. Um, and, it, and it, you know the, the tricky thing is just to sort of close this up is that you know if a player doesn't have a, a successful loan period, it doesn't make them a bad player. You know, we always look at, oh, he's not doing very well on loan. I mean, Harry Kane was absolutely atrocious on loan. I mean, he was so bad at Leighton Orient. I think he was at Millwall and Norwich and, and Leicester. You know, he was he was a bad player on loan uh, playing in, in, in league football. And then he comes back to Tottenham and, and they still had, you know, the sort of faith in, in him to play in the Europa League. And, and obviously he took his chances. But I think we as fans are often very quick to write players off because they don't absolutely smash it in a different style of football. You know, there are players that... that I think Chelsea could have maybe brought back in and then tried to sort of reaccustom to the way that Chelsea play that maybe would have been beneficial. So, you know, we, we can't always wipe players off because they haven't done well. I think that there's a question of whether we keep them in-house and, and how, how we develop them, whether they get enough minutes and, and also sending them, them, you know, to the right clubs. It's, it's a really, really difficult equation. I, I don't I don't envy the, the sort of the Chelsea kind of system, Eddie Newton and I think Paolo Ferrer look, look after our loan players. I don't really envy their, their situation, trying to monitor them and seeing how they're developing. But, you know, it, it's a very, very tricky situation because, you know, you can look at someone like Loftus-Cheek. You know, I've, I've been championing him since he was 17 years old to play for Chelsea. And a lot of people have had different opinions with me over those years. But he's now sort of finally coming into his own a bit in the Chelsea first team. But it's taken him a good, good five years to go from being a promising teenager to being someone who a lot of Chelsea fans now think should be starting games. So, you know, we've got to give them the time. We've got to give them the minutes. We've got to give them the encouragement. Um, but that takes, you know, the right loan, the right manager, the right development time. There's so many things that go into it. It's not just talent. So, yeah, hopefully that's uh, it's, it's trying to unpack a, a very big question there. But hopefully that's a, a good enough answer for Vinod. Yeah, very, very unfair of uh, me to land you into that one, actually, <laughs> Joe, because you're right. It, it ain't it ain't simple. Um, OK, executive decision time. Uh, we are having a break now. And then we, when we come back, we're going to do the next three emails. OK. Uh, one of them which is quite long, which I'll do. And then we are going to park it for this week because we just, we, we'll be here for four hours and I'm, I'm, I'll keel over. I can probably manage another 20 minutes if that. So we'll do that. We'll see you in a sec. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea! Footballfancast.com Right, welcome back. I am Stamford Chidge, of course. I've got the wonderful Jonathan Kidd, and the even equally wonderful, I almost said more wonderful than Joe, I'd have been in trouble. Uh, we've got the lovely Joe Tweedy with us as well, who's been absolutely brilliant tonight. Now, um... It just so happens, and I and I and I, I don't know if Jonathan, you won't have heard this, so 
This will be really fun. I actually got this week uh, not an email, but I got a message. I'm so excited. I got a message, an audio message from somebody. It was, it was just somebody. It was from the wonderful Jeffrey Asselstein, who we've known for a long, long time, who felt compelled to send me a message uh, in response to last week's show. And, and I'm going to play it for you now. So have a listen to this. Uh, I say, there we go, just do that. Have a listen to this. Chidge, I hope you get this. Um, I don't know if I've ever sent you a message like this before, but I'm midway through, or just a bit past midway through the podcast. Um, dude, I'm almost in tears. Listen to you guys talk about why sport Chelsea and you know, it's more than the 90 minutes and it's the people you meet. And I was the whole time I was thinking is because of Chelsea, I've met people that I'm sure I never would have really got to know. Maybe they wouldn't be my cup of tea and certainly I'm not theirs, but because of Chelsea and our love of the club, um, we meet each other and just, we bond on that level. And I think you're right, completely classless that occurs, uh, classless situation that occurs because of the love of the club. What a brilliant broadcast. I'm listening to Johnson's stories right now, and I wish he go, I hope he goes on for 10 hours. I'm just loving these. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Well, I hope you managed to hear that, because I, I, I appreciate it was a bit quiet in my headphones. It was very loud when I recorded it, but uh, whatever. I'll make sure it's, it's beautifully loud on the... Uh, you know, on the uh, on the podcast version, of course. But how brilliant, Jonathan, to get an audio message. I think we need to encourage this. Well, it, this is fantastic. It would mean that we wouldn't need to read them anymore. Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I could go and spend more time in the loo. Yeah, you could. Yeah. I could go and make a cup of tea, yeah. maybe a gin and tonic or something. Yeah, yeah. No, but it, in all seriousness, I mean, basically, just to explain to you what Jeffrey did, and Jeffrey, I mean, I cannot tell you how fantastic it was to hear from you. You know, it was it was really lovely to hear from somebody. So I, I, this has got my this has got my juices flowing, if you excuse the pun. Uh, and uh, I'm I'm gonna you know I mean Jeffrey basically sent this to me via Facebook, so God knows how he did it. But I'm gonna investigate and find out a way for you to you know leave a message for us. You know, talk about whatever you want, and then we can have it in the show. It's a podcast, makes lots of sense to me. I'm loving this idea. I'm gonna investigate and make you all know how to do it, and then. Uh, we can have a lot of fun with that. Right. So and I think it was really lovely, actually, because, um, I, you know, I won't embarrass Jonathan. Yes, I will. I will. But we got a lot of love last week for I mean, I know Paul Crowd has been moaning about us being negative and I deliberately uh, decided to uh, to, you know, give it a bit of upfulness last week on the show. And we we swerved talking about Sarri and, and Chelsea being shit. And we talked about why we love Chelsea and uh, and all sorts of stuff like that. And Jonathan told us about you know, watching some of the early games he did. And and uh, I'm going to read this. I'm, I'm happy bird, I'll read this out in a minute because that's very funny what you've just said. But uh, basically, we got a lot of love for that, Jonathan. They loved hearing your stories and they had a moan at me for shutting you up after an hour and 25 minutes. Sorry, <laughs> uh, tw- 20 minutes. So there you go. You. All right. So, Thank well, we'll do it more. Good. We'll do it in the summer, mate, I think. I think maybe in the summer, we'll, you, you, you and I should sit down. I can have a pint of Guinness and you can have a glass of water and I can like interview you and we can have a proper chat about some of these games you went to and things you remember and I it'll it'll save us having to talk rubbish about nothing in the summer I'm up for that anyway uh, right happy bird just said if you stop reading emails I'll have my patreon money back absolutely understood we're not going to do that I'm just saying it's another option all right and on that point here comes an email which I uh, didn't oh we can send voice messages via twitter 
Well, I don't know if you can do that, Benji. Then do it, man. Yeah, brilliant. All right. Okay. Next email. This is from Tommy Meals. Um, uh, and I didn't read this out last week because we, like this week, ran out of time. But Tommy says, good evening, Chidge and Jonathan. Chidge, I must apologise for the delay in thanking you for your hospitality at the cock where I met you before my first match a little over a month ago. It's taken my fragile Canadian ego this long to forgive you for introducing me to... Uh, hang on. It's, it, it's taken my fragile Canadian ego this long to forgive you for introducing me to your mates as an American. Oh, God, now I understand. What I'm really sorry, Tommy. Did I do that? Jesus, I'm just, I'm useless. What can I say? I only jest. It was lovely to finally meet you, and meeting Dan Sills was a nice bonus. Although I, uh, although I was sat at the very top of the East Upper and we unfortunately crashed out of the Cup to United that evening, it was still an amazing experience of biblical proportions for me. To finally have made it to the bridge was unbelievable. I'm still pinching myself at my luck. The Europa League victory over Malmo, I got to witness from the fabled Matthew Harding lower, and it was brilliant. And my throat was probably still a little hoarse from singing as I anxiously took the tube to Wembley that Sunday, unable, unable to quell fears of another Guardiola-induced thrashing. Instead of another meek capitulation, the resilient Chelsea performance that night had a vintage quality to it. The way the team weathered uh, an, an admittedly off-colour city was laudable and certainly inspired our brilliant support to sing as raucously as it did. My only frustration was that being only one row back from the lower tier behind the goal, I was shouted at to sit down from the first minute and could only rise without fear during the times we threatened to score. Well, Obviously not very much then, to be fair, Tom. I was shouted at... Uh, 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 watching the match from my seat was a proper drag. I hope my next visit to the UK comes after safe standing has been implemented. Here, here. Uh, too bad we couldn't kick on from that display and our wins against Spurs and Fulham to make the top four our own. But I'll certainly make... It'll certainly make for an interesting end to the season. I was a little disappointed to hear how many supporters saw fit to boo both Jorginho and Sarri at the matches I attended. It obviously uh, their right to express their displeasure given the amount they pay for their seats. But I don't understand the mentality that would ever lead someone to boo one of our own. Like Jonathan has mentioned, I think that it's a case of Jorginho being viewed as Sarri's, teacher, Sarri's teacher's pet and it's disheartening to witness. Uh, I find it funny that Louise... Excuse me, bit of indigestion. I find it funny that Louise, one of Sarri's most vocal fans, is also one of the main uh, culprits in deterring uh, from the intended style. Or deviating from the intended style, I think. His predilection for dallying for five or six touches... I hope Paul Crowder's listening to this. He'll love this bit. His predilection for dallying for five or six touches on the ball is not what Sarri wants. So it's interesting to always hear him talking as if he's following instructions closely. Although I love Louise's vibrant personality... And he'll always have a special place in my heart for his services that fateful night on, in Munich. He's one I have mixed feelings about, given the accounts of his bristling under Conte. He seems to carry a lot of influence in the dressing room. Well, he, he does, Tommy, because I know Roman, he's one of Roman's favourites, apparently. And not in a placating JT kind of way. The Portuguese-speaking contingent is one I'm a little wary of, as they all seem a little self-motivated. Well, they, they are a bit of a clique, that I do know. Uh, why does it seem like we're the only big club that struggles to keep non-starters happy? The minute someone gets dropped or doesn't get the game time they were expecting, they or their agent goes complaining to the media. Well, that's modern football, I'm afraid, Tommy. Even Giroud has recently fallen victim to this sort of moaning, with Didier Deschamps rising to his aid in a press conference. I'm sure he didn't do it unwittingly, as Olivier has been mouthing off about us to his national side. It's a shame his self-righteous attitude lends itself more to scoring against Europa League minnows than when he's actually needed to do more than just pretty back heels in the league. Meow. 
catty comment. Love it, Tommy. Anyway, I'm disappointed that we can't seem to build a camaraderie amongst the squad where everyone is willing to suffer for the good of the team, as most other clubs seem to have this sort of culture buy-in. I've grown frustrated by the laxness of the Louise Rudiger pairing at, at centre-back and would like to see Christensen given more of a chance. While he has looked shaky with his distribution at times, I think that the run of games would renew the cool composure we saw him to have under Conte. If the transfer ban doesn't take effect, this upcoming summer and we end up selling a certain high-profile Belgian, I'd like to see us go all out for a long-term world-class partner for Christensen. Although far-fetched, I would target Inter Milan's Skriniar as he's just the kind of bully that we need uh, while also being a cool player on the ball. We'd certainly be in for a fierce competition, but it would do well to signal our intent to rebuild our squad and get back to consistently challenging for the Champions League. I, I know what you mean there, Tommy, but I think if you're going to lose Hazard, you really need to try and you know fill the massive creative black hole that we'll have when he goes. Anyway, I'm pleased that Ruben opted to stay behind during the international break as it hopefully means he'll be fighting fit for the pivotal period ahead. Uh, judging from uh, yesterday, I hope so too. Th the throttling of D Dinamo Kiev made me keen on seeing more of the midfield trio of Ruben, Kante and Kovacic with the latter in the Jorginho role. Being of Croatian descent myself, I want no, no bias then, Tommy. Um, I want Kovacic to play, but not at the expense of Ruben, who's shown <clears throat> that uh, the left central midfield spot should be his if he's available for selection. With that said, Kovacic showed he could do more than a job in the anchor role. I, I agree with that. He has a different style to that of Jorginho and doesn't circulate the ball with the same speed, but his dribbling ability and comparatively robust physicality ensure that he doesn't get bullied when pressed. He also seems to understand Rubin, and the pair combined for several nice one-twos against the Ukrainians. Little needs to be said on Kanti, who has done remarkably well in his role and always adds a level of <coughs> dynamism that few can hope to match. It's certainly an option that Sarri will now be aware he can feel, but I don't anticipate it being trotted out, especially given his sometimes perplexing decision to start Barkley and Alonso when they aren't in the best of form. Even since, oh sorry, ever since Zidane's return to Madrid, I've been stealing myself to accept Eden's impending departure. While I could delude myself into thinking that he will stay and desire to become a club legend, like Drogba has suggested to the press... I can't help but feel I would do the same if given the opportunity to be managed by my childhood idol. In the end, we could do nothing but thank him for his services to the club and rue the fact that the club mismanaged the team around him. Good point. Uh, we should have surrounded him with players of the highest calibre in a bid to consistently challenge for the top honours. Instead, he has Alonso <coughs> failing to pass him the ball to feet, forcing Eden to look forward uh, so that when, uh, to when he can combine with Marcello down the flank at the Bernabeu. Gripes about the team aside, it was a shame I couldn't meet Jonathan while in London, but I was recently browsing his Twitter and saw that he and I go way back in a different kind of way. If my understanding of his animation reel is correct, I played the same Harry Potter game he lent his voice to on, on PlayStation as a young boy. What a coincidence. Uh, until next time, Tommy Mios. How about that, JK? Well, it, yes, he, he would have. Um, it, depends, <coughs> it depends which one it was because uh, I did all of them. So uh, it could have been any, but if, if I was um, Peeves the Ghost, that would be the first one, which was great fun. A little voice like that. Hello, Potter. Potter, where are you? Marvelous. Potter, where are you? <laughs> I think, uh, I think great stuff, Jake. I, I think, you know, Tommy's point about Hazard is interesting. I was talking to somebody, uh, I think it was yesterday on the show, actually, and uh, saying that, you know, I think Hazard will go in the summer and, and, and uh, you know, I don't blame him at all. He, we've got we've got more years out of him than I think that any of us 
ever expected we would. He's won everything but the Champions League with us, pretty much. So he's he's done more than enough for us. Uh, and I think he has been let down. You know, I think he's I think he's you know the number of management changes we've had and the meltdowns therein and the and the you know the the much lower quality of players that we've been getting uh, to. Uh, you know, put around him, we we will look back on this in 10, 20, 30 years' time and, and we will say, you know, we wasted Hazard, I think, in a sense. I don't know. That's a strong view, possibly, Joe, but what, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I agree on that. And actually, the, the email's pretty interesting, but, I mean, if, if Hazard goes, whatever money you get from him, you, you've got to throw it at a centre-forward. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, the... the the problem we've had, and this is really, I suppose, since since Costa's gone, is that a a really top-class centre-forward masks so many problems in the team. And yeah. if you're trying to implement a philosophy or a playing style, it's a little bit smoother if you've just got someone up front who will just score. Like, it doesn't matter really what kind of style of play it is. You know, Kane, Kane covers up a lot for Pochettino. Aguero covers up a lot for, for what Guardiola was doing when he implemented his new system. You know, every penny of that money, we just go for it at the best centre-forward we can buy because it, it makes everything much easier if you can if you can convert this pressure into one or two goals in the first half life's easy for everyone so yeah i mean and also the, the center half this uh screenio guy he he is exceptional um i'm not sure whether we'd be able to buy him but yeah he's he's certainly the the, the perfect sort of uh premier league center half that you like but yeah i i think the email's really really good um and also i'm a big fan of the uh kovacic kante and off the cheap midfield i'd like to see more of that as well yeah, I think he did well against Kiev. There's no doubt about that. Right, JK, next one. And then I've got one and then off we jolly well go. We'll be done in 10 minutes, I promise. Uh, this is Andrew Davis. Hi, Chidge and the gang. Long-time listener, first-time emailer. I had intended to email you chaps in readiness for the international break show, thinking there would be more chance of this being aired. But it seems my procrastination may have helped with a number of cracky emails you read out on Monday's show. I've been fortunate enough to have been supporting the Blues for over 20 years and got in at the ground level in 95, just as Glenn Hoddle started to transform the fortunes, image and success of the club after a less than prosperous period of our history. I've been there to see rude, sexy football, the long-awaited successes in the FA Cup in 97 and everything that's followed. As a club member living in South Wales, I don't get up to the bridge as often as I would like, but manage to head up a few times a season and always leave envious of you chaps who are lucky enough to stroll down the Fulham Road every other Saturday. <laughs> Good quote. We all know this season hasn't gone as smoothly as we all would have liked due to the roller coaster of the past few years. This was due to, the, this was due to be the season where we clicked into gear, won the league at a canter and generally have a lot more optimism about the place than the prior season, but that hasn't happened. Whilst I still don't think it's been as torrid as that last season under Jose and the boar draw finale under Hiddink, Hiddink, it's not gone as all of us would have hoped. I had a lot of optimism with Sarri's appointment. It seemed as though the club had balked at the idea of bringing in the latest managerial Galactico and instead gone for a lesser known man with a clear philosophy in Sarri and his infamous Sarri ball. I wasn't worried about the fact he hadn't won a trophy, as many seem to be. Every manager is trophyless at some point in their career. And being ready-made winners in the past, a la Scolari, had backfired spectacularly. I wonder if he still calls us Chelsea. Our long unbeaten <laughs> start to the season, keeping pace with Liverpool and City, seemed to indicate good things and seemed a lifetime ago. Though I think many of us saw signs of the changes, of the charges levelled at the team now. 
high possession, not translated into chances, suspect at the back. I found myself siding very much with JK in his defence of Sarri and what he's trying to do at the club to implement his style. Yeah, but I've changed now, Andrew. He was brought in on the basis of that style and I find it amusing he would throw that away early on on the basis of a few bad results in favour of a compact pedestrian way of playing that we bemoaned in the past, not least, least in the loss to City away last year. Well said, very good. That said, as the performances have gone south, it seems almost inevitable that this isn't going to have a happy ending for Sarri and he will forever be known amongst Chelsea fans as that fag-eating tramp. Should the transfer ban be, up, <clears throat> should the transfer ban be upheld in the summer, I cannot see how he's going to turn around this group of players so that Saribol clicks with them. If he's gone to make it here, he is go- if he's going to make it here, he's going to need substantial backing in the transfer market, not something the club was fully engaged with in prior seasons. But it begs the question, why did the board bring him in? It's often been talked about the lack of direction and strategy at board level, and maybe they were drawn in by his comments about being anti-transfer market and being able to coach players to play his way. But what I find interesting, interesting is what the board will do if, as a possibility, we flunk out of the top four, but pull off another against-all-odds story and qualify for the Champions League by winning the Europa League. What about you guys? I feel that by this time people are pretty <clears throat> I feel that by this time people are pretty entrenched in their respective camps. But I think it would grant him a stay of execution after all. Surely he would have fulfilled his pre season objectives of getting us back in the C L and win a trophy. Anyway, I've rambled on for far too long now. No. Just wanted to drop a mail to say what a top job you guys do. Listening to the podcast is very much a cathartic experience when things are not going well on the pitch. Keep the blue flag flying high and up the shelves. At A Davies 25. That's at A Davies 25. Cheers, Andrew. Yeah, I think we've, uh, we've, we've debated all of this, haven't we, really? <laughs> yeah, we've I think we, we, we more than... Points, yeah, we, we more than covered that, I think, during the show. So, actually, Andrew, brilliant email, mate. And uh, why is it taking you so long? You know, goodness me, great stuff. Uh, but I think, as I said, I think we answered that earlier. At least I hope we did. Um, you know, doubt you will let us know if we haven't. Right, final email this week. So, basically, if you're Barrett Ruin, or Ruan, the wonderful Bud Zola, the ever-lovely Russell Saunders, who I've been having sneaky chats with on Patreon while you've been reading that, and uh, Andrew Smith, I will do my best to read your emails next week. Uh, they're luckily all fairly, you know, they're not kind of, uh, you know, what I would say, current, topical, what have you. They're, they're all kind of stories, so they can wait. Uh, in the meantime, I've got one from Alex Woodhams, which is brilliant. Uh, brilliant. I love these are my favourite kind of emails, not least because it's short. OK, but anyway, Alex says, hey, guys, I'm afraid to say I, too, have finally started to lose my faith in the gaffer. These team selections and the rationale he's, provide, he's providing for them are barely coherent. Sounds like our show, Alex, really. Uh, anyway, as a result, players' enthusiasm appears to be dropping off at possibly the most critical moment of the season. We've all seen that before. I don't know if we need to stick with him and see if there is method to this madness or change in the summer for yet another time. I'm strangely excited for what next season will bring and increasingly tired of the current one. Anyone, anyone share my feelings? Uh, I do actually I think I said this earlier on Alex I just can't wait for this bloody season to finish but I I always every summer I miss the bloody football and I can't wait for August for it to come back because I'm always optimistic the beginning of the season always think we're going to win everything so I know exactly what you mean 
Uh, but anyway, this is the best news of all. By the way, I'm coming over from Brazil this summer and I'd be glad to buy all of you a pint. Cheers, Woody. Best news I've had this week, Alex, and I look forward to that. You know how to get hold of me. Let me know when you're coming over because I'm a busy boy, so I, I need to make sure I'm, I can be around. It'd be lovely to see you and I'll buy you a pint too. So thank you for listening and we can have a good old chinwag. Now, um, it's brilliant. I mean, as, as, you, as you know, Jonathan and I just absolutely love getting emails from you all um we do generally try and read them all but i'm just these guys you know need you've got other shit to do I, i've got to go to bed sometime soon having edited this thing so we've just really run out of time this week but we'll try and get them in next week so thank you very much everybody who sent emails in uh and uh you know if you want to email us send it to chelseafancast at gmail.com and make sure you get it to me by a monday morning absolute latest uh and then it might get in the show right that i'm afraid is all we have time for tonight you say, thank God, after two and a half hours. I don't blame you. Um, we will be back next Tuesday on April the 9th uh, due to the Chelsea-West Ham match being played on the Monday night. Boo! Uh, I will be joined by Jonathan and whoever I can beg to share the mics with us. I promise, Joe, that I won't be phoning you an hour before to say, please, can you help us out? <laughs> I think you've more than done, you've more than done your duty tonight. Uh, anyway, I mean, basically, I mean, the reason, as I said earlier, I, I just haven't had time to figure out the next schedule, but I'll get on it this week and hopefully we'll have somebody interesting to join me and Jonathan. Anyway, we'll be looking back at the matches against West Ham and Brighton. Uh, but don't forget, of course, you can tune in to Chelsea Fancast on Love Sport Radio between 7 o'clock and 9 this Friday, where me and JK will join Johnny Burrow and we'll digest all the latest Chelsea news, look back at the Chelsea-Brighton match and ahead to the West Ham match. Do phone in, join in the show and debate with us live. We had three calls last week. Fantastic. Really great stuff. Uh, thank you, people who phoned in. I know Mark phoned in, and I think Yannick phoned in. And forgive me, I forget the last person who phoned in, but you know, I'm, I'm senile, so I forget these things. But brilliant. Keep doing it. The number is 0208 70 20 558. And of course, you can listen to Love Sport uh, on 558 AM uh, on the DAB digital channels uh, through Radio Player, TuneIn, or Love Sport Radio. And of course, Alexa. If you've got a. Oh, shit, I better not do that because I've got an Alexa here and it'll kick off. But you can let. You can. You can say, Alexa, play Love Sport Radio. I think you get the gist. Uh, anyway, so there you go. So that's all good. Uh, of course, the show's available as a podcast shortly afterwards, as are all of our shows. And you can get them on ChelseaFanCast.com, Acast, Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, and other inferior podcast distributors. Anyway, you can follow the show on Twitter at ChelseaFanCast, me at Stanford Chidge, Jonathan at Jonathan Kid, Joe at Joe Tweedy. And, of course, you can check out the website, ChelseaFanCast.com. And, of course, while we're on that subject, huge thanks go out to the bloggers who put up the great content during the week. And that would include Alex, who is at CSCGWLB, Nick, uh, Nick Stroudley, uh, Jonathan Ellis at Clitheroe Blue, Dean Mears, the legend that is Dean Mears, at Dean Mears, uh, at CFC Nicholas, at Tosser of Coin, at TomGot95, at John Topier. And, uh, of course, you can follow the regular Chelsea Fancasters, on Twitter at Goldie59, at CFCGWLB, at Gate17Marco, at DanSilv73, at GrocerJackUK, uh, at Liam underscore Toomey, and at OJ Harbord. Right, uh, I'm about to expire, uh, as are Jonathan and Joe, no doubt, but uh, Jonathan, brilliant uh, having you on. What a mammoth show. Another bloody epic, mate. What's going well, it on? It was inevitable, Chidge, because it's... Um... We've come to a very um, interesting point of the season, haven't we, with the possible um, loss of the manager and loss of the games. Mm. And uh, so it's a it's a tipping point, isn't it, really? So There's a bit. Yeah. yeah. This is this is why I no longer work in TV because clearly I could never keep to time. 
So there you go. That's something for me to think about. Uh, Joe, as I said several times during tonight, you, I mean, I love you to pieces anyway, mate, as you well know, but you've been an absolute legend tonight for, for coming in at such short notice. And, uh, you know, you, as always, when you're on the show, the show, uh, the show's bar is significantly raised. So massive thank you for, for doing that. Yeah, no problem. Appreciate it. And, uh, some of these uh, emails, I think you'd be, be doing people a miss if you didn't publish them as articles. I thought Finnods in particular was, uh, was oh, great. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah. Brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a good that's a good shout, mate, actually. And I mean, the, thing, the reality is I have every... I mean, you see, Joe's just given me another summer project, you see, uh, because uh, obviously I hope to have more time then. But I've got everybody's email address, obviously, who has sent an email in so it wouldn't take too much work for me to email you all and say can i have your permission to put this up on the site but joe's right i mean that vinyl one bloody hell mate that would be a cracking article um and a man i think after your own heart joe judging by the length of his article <laughs> I, I, I appreciate more research writing so yeah quite right too unlike mine i make all mine up as i go along as anybody who's read my stuff will know but like me it comes from the heart and it's from a very passionate place so there you go joe you're an absolute legend mate and the, the, the sooner you get over to the uk for a beer mate the better yeah, it's been I've, far I've been too long so i'm, I'm going to try yeah. and get back before uh, before the end of the season but yeah i'm a bit, I'm a bit stuck here at the moment <laughs> I know. Well, lucky old you. It's a good yeah, place to bad. be. But let me know when you're coming over and we'll, we'll grab a yeah, beer, mate. Please. It'd be lovely to have a proper catch-up. All right, you lot out there, Mixler people, you are brilliant. Without you, there would be no us. What can I say? Hopefully we'll see you all again next Tuesday. So thanks for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, keep it chills. Up, up the chills! It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times.